What is up, fine folks? Welcome back to Double Tapped, episode five. I am Jay. I'm Tanner. Tanner. Yes. Let's sip on some Elvis juice, why don't we? <laughs> yeah, so this is called, legitimately just called Elvis juice by yeah. Brewdog, which Brewdog. I've never heard of before. Yeah, and I decided to read this here bio of this brewery. Brewdog, born in Scotland, brewed in Ohio. Brewdog came howling into the world in 2007, born in Aberdeen, Scotland. Oh. We now brew our beers in Columbus, a full circle journey that brings our craft beer back to the place where the craft beer revolution started. In Columbus? <laughs> or in We're Scotland? we into some beer history. Oh, some beer history. Beer that is powered by the people. Our unique Whoa. community of 55,000 beer-loving investors helped us build our breweries <laughs> in Scotland and America. And bringing Fred, <laughs> who hates beer, but invested anyway. <laughs> bringing people and beer closer together again. Elvis Juice. What do you think of it? Uh, it's interesting. It has more like a fruitiness at the top and then like an ipa yeah it's a it's a grapefruit ipa is the type of beer that it is that makes sense uh yeah very i like it it's a very citrusy yeah it's and a, then hoppy at the end it's a, you don't usually think of things that are like summery drinks as slow sippers this no. is what i would call a summer slow sipper nice very easy to say so was right off the anyway tanner what you've been into what you've been playing we took a week off we did so i've played a lot of stuff yeah uh so i have uh started twilight princess mm-hmm uh, you mentioned just before we started recording that you saw the video of me discovering spoilers, I guess, because I didn't know this, that Link turns into a wolf in that game. Had no clue. It was bizarre. The yell is just so, it is quite a yell. <laughs> ah! <laughs> it is, <laughs> yeah, Something like that. It's very guttural. Uh, I started that. It's pretty good. I'm, I'm too early on it to really get my opinions. I'm assuming I'll have more next week. Uh, last night, I got a code from Kyle Seeley mm-hmm. uh, and played all the way through Emily's Way 3. How was it? I know you're a big fan of this series. It was very good. Uh, I would say that Emily's Way 2 is still my favorite. Um, this one... So, if you don't know the idea of these games, um, Emily Way, Emily's Way 1 is free on Steam. If you have a PC, you can play it. Uh, it's set in AOL Instant Messenger. It's kind of the proof of concept for these, for these games. It's sort of a... Someone described it in chat yesterday, which is a pretty good description, as a nostalgia-based uh, social media dating simulator, which is pretty pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, so the first one's based on AOL Instant Messenger. The second one is based on Instant Messenger, but then branching out to things like blogs and a fake YouTube. All of this is set like within your browser, but uh, the game itself is like a, a Steam game, mm-hmm. but it's just the instant messaging part, and then it goes to your browser. Um, and Kyle has made like a fake YouTube and all that. So this one is based in Facenook, obviously facebook uh so you're in facebook messenger as opposed to aol instant messenger and uh there's still the youtube there's still blog pages uh fake ign page called egn which is very fun and the home video and i can't wait to see the reaction to it is greg singing in the rock band 2 video have you ever seen this i don't think it's one of their early it's one of ign's earliest youtube videos and it's greg singing Oh, some Rock Band 2 song. I feel like I remember this referenced, but... Yeah, he talks about it also, sometimes is it at some E3. actually a hybrid between IGN and EGM? A little bit, yeah, but it looks like IGN. Gotcha. Um, like old IGN used to, like the, the logo that has like the, the lines running around it and stuff. Yeah. Uh, that was a fun thing I popped for. There's a lot of secret stuff I probably didn't find, but uh, very good game. I really, really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, that's my type of shit. I love narrative stuff, but I will say... The end went on a little too long. I feel like they should have ended it probably 15 minutes before they did. Gotcha. Because uh, there was a really, really great finite ending point, and then they just kept going just mm, a little bit yeah. to kind of make it a more positive ending, and I would have rather just just strike me in the heart and yeah. 
end it. Um, and it was such a beautiful ending that I thought they were going to roll credits there. Uh, or as I suggested, you could do that little like uplifting part as a post credit mm-hmm. if you really wanted to. Um, but overall, I really enjoy the game. They're only like ten bucks. I think Emily's Way Two is like five bucks now, so uh, totally worth playing. Emily's Way Two. Emily's Way Two is like one of my favorite games ever. So three. I may have overhyped myself for a little bit, but also it really delivered up until the last like fifteen minutes. Yeah, very interesting. I've been still a grinding away on that good old Rocket League. Hell yeah! Uh, I did dip my toes into Into the Gungeon since it was uh, mm. PlayStation put out a Play at Home special where they had released like it was like ten games yeah. for free. A lot of them like indie games. Yeah, um, that's a cool little game. I'm start. I like it. It's, very, it's interesting. I've barely touched it at all. <clears throat> yeah. Played through like the tutorial levels and into the first level a little bit. I really like the style of it. It's you know all these ridiculous number of guns and it's. I knew a little bit of it going in, like mm-hmm. all the harebrained like Call of Duty ray gun type stuff you could yeah. find in it. Uh, yeah, it's this. It's step one of my slow journey into the rogue genres. And I hope by the time that you're fully immersed. Hades will Hades be on PlayStation. Will, yeah. I will say uh, one other thing I've been playing, and actually two other things I've been playing. I completely forgot. It's been two weeks. So uh, I finished up. I went back and finished up Crash 4. Finally <laughs> really? finally beat that game. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was about two-thirds of the way through it, did two streams of it, and uh, what I kid you not, the next-to-last level in that game is a top five hardest things I've ever had to do in a game. Wow. It's incredible. Like, I would put it on the same level as like some of the souls bosses, some of the bloodborne bosses, just from a platforming perspective, it's up there with anything in cuphead, which is probably a better parallel. Mm -hmm. Uh, it is very, very hard. And I spent probably an hour on a section that when done correctly is probably 30 seconds. It's wild. Um, really enjoyed that game. I love the PS five update. That was kind of the thing that brought me back to it. It looks a lot better, plays a lot smoother, really good stuff. And then, uh, the other game that I've been playing because I had to get my PS four back out, uh, to for some reason the Crash Five update or the Crash Four update on PS Five doesn't pull your save from the cloud and mm. you actually actually update it through right. Crash on PS Four. So I had to plug it up, update it, get all that updated. So I said update a lot there, but get it uploaded. And while I was there, I just had my PS Four on in the living room because normally the PS Five stays in here for streams. I was like, all right, what's on my dashboard? I've got like thirty minutes, whatever. Pulled up Cook Serve Delicious Three. And it's not a game I expected to be picking back up. Uh, I played through a good a good amount of it, but uh, has just been my living room. Like I have thirty minutes between dinner and stream. Let me do two or three levels. I got yeah. all the golds in the first area. I'm trying to go through and get all the the leader or the the awards for not messing up any recipes. That game's really good. <laughs> and I will say, like I know the developer. I, I <clears throat> I've I've done work with the developer. Like I know I know that team really well. Uh, we play games together and stuff, but. It's not a game that I picked up because of that again. Like, it was just like I had the itch for it. And it's been a really nice, just another one of our podcast games that we love so yeah, much. Yeah, those cooking sims, like, we're, we're an overcooked household here. Yes. Um, those games, they scratch a little itch. It's just a fun, cooperative thing. Yeah. I don't know. They're fun. And we just love food. Yeah, that's true. Probably going to eat a lot of food here in a little while. Yeah. Uh, Tanner, let's move on to some news. There's been... Not a ton of news stories, but a few biggins, yeah. as they would say. And we've had two weeks, so. So let's talk about a few of them. Okay. The first of which, probably not one of the ones you thought I was going to lead off with, but one of the ones that interested me the most. Okay. Did you hear a little rumor about Bioshock 4? No. Apparently, it has been all but confirmed that Bioshock 4 is going to be an open world game. Oh, interesting. Uh, 
I don't know how I feel yeah, about that. Yeah, because you're you're a huge fan of the corridor type thing. Of Very Bioshock much so. Because even, well, okay, there's you're right. I love the corridor sections, and that's sort of one of my critiques that we brought up of Bioshock Infinite. That's yes. a little more linear, a little more shootery. Yeah. But then, it, okay, you know, logic dictates that oh, you go from linear to corridor to open world. Sure. Actually, I'm not following my own logic on there. I'm sort of skeptical. <laughs> I love the idea of in Bioshock when you're going into these corridors that all feel so distinct. Mm. Like you go into the, it's the late game in the corridor where the guy is like uh, the very theatrical. Yeah. Uh, Sandra Cohen. Yes. Yeah. Um, is that his, his name? I, I think it's Cohen. I don't know if it's. I think that's his name. I'm going to look it up. I believe go you're ahead. right. But the fact that he like just shows up at the end and just stands there and like poses as yeah. though he, you're, he, you've beaten all of his things. You don't even have to kill him. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, that is Sandra Cohen. Okay. Yeah. Cool name. The, the nature of that game, the creepy and different atmospheres you can get with each corridor, I worry would run together a little bit too much in an open world setting. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I just really am excited to get back into Bioshock, whatever form it takes. Me too. I'm a little dubious of a non-Ken Levine-led Bioshock. Uh, but I mean, there are great minds out there that aren't Ken Levine. And maybe he's like... Obviously, he moved on from that franchise. I'm sure if he said, I want to make another Bioshock, 2K would be like, yeah, let's mm-hmm. do it. Um, and he's you know, going on doing his own thing now. But um, I would think that you know, other talented people like Steve Gaynor have worked on Bioshock games before. I wonder if they pull him in, mm-hmm. get Fulbright to do some stuff. I don't know. But uh, I would love to see where somebody takes it. I hope it doesn't get too generic though like sure that's the that's a big critique of a lot of open world games for me it's oh like yeah 100%. things get repetitive things get generic things get kind of smoothed over in a way um because you're trying to fill out so much space that not every little thing has as many details as you'd like and that's something that's really great about all yeah. those bioshock games uh even bioshock 2 like i remember some very specific side areas and things from bioshock 2 and some stories that you find in those areas that you could totally miss on your first playthrough and i'm imagining that on a broader scale is yeah. kind of scary, but I love Bioshock. I wonder if it'll be underworld. I assume it or underwater. I assume it would In be rapture. Yeah. Um, Cause people are mixed on Columbia. I love Columbia as a I setting. Love, uh, yeah. But I don't know how you do anything other than sky or water. I mean, I guess you could go underground, but that doesn't make much sense. Um, we'll see, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm skeptical, I guess I'm going to wait and, and hold my thoughts, but and what I wonder is maybe it's more, you know, open world kind of has lost its meaning. Yes. Like there, there's a lot of games you could call open world that are of varying sizes and design, right. you know, philosophies. For example, Tomb Raider, like the remade Tomb Raider games, yeah. you can sort of call those open world, but that's just really because you can connect one area to another seamlessly, even yeah. though once you're in an area, you're pretty much in that area until you decide to that go to the, the next level. one. Yeah. Whereas in Bioshock, it is kind of the same thing. True. But you hit one of these big loading screens and, you know, it's yeah. it feels more disconnected. So maybe they're doing the more God of War Tomb Raider-y style of right. an interconnected corridor style world, which I think would make more that sense. That could work, yeah. Uh, either way, I'm excited. And I do I would love it to be in Rapture just because, like, Bioshock 1 by far my favorite. And mm. aesthetically, Rapture and the story of Rapture is just so cool. Yeah. Let's talk PlayStation now. Okay. And... Let's talk the good first, and then the weird. Oh, all right. <laughs> the first. My favorite Clint Eastwood yeah. movie. First story for PlayStation. The first major PS5 update just mm. hit earlier this week. The big selling point of that was that you can now store PS5 games on an external drive. Yes. And 
You can't play them from the drive. Right, which is a weird caveat. But you can move games in and out more seamlessly than you could and have. quicker just, than downloading and Exactly. That's yeah. the big selling point, which I'm wondering. <laughs> it's just because we don't know when they're actually going to release whatever update that uh, brings, brings the in the expandable storage. Yeah. If we knew that date, I would be much more sold one way or the other. Way. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and buy an external drive or right. not. I'm tempted to now. But I don't know if it's really that much worth it. Yeah, I don't know either because, like, I it is a very rare thing for me, uh, which I'll have to start the the Rocket League install on my PS5 mm. uh, before we go eat. But that won't take long. No, <laughs> uh, it is very rare for me to, and I'm very lucky to have fiber, so this is probably part of it. But it's rare for me to go. I want to play this game. I need it now. Yes. Like if it's not on my dashboard, then I'll be like, all right, I'll play something else until it downloads or give me a couple hours. Yeah. I'll just go do something else in my life and then come <laughs> back and I'll play this video game later. Um, and I don't know if that's just part of being older and just like, okay, I'll start this download. Yeah. I'll go do something. But uh, I don't, I have tons of external storage drives, mostly for design files and things like that. So it's something I could do easily and might test out, but I don't know. If it were, like, I don't have any external drives, I don't know that I would go out and buy it just for this. Yeah, and I don't... I was a little bit, like, a few weeks ago, starting to get to that point, like, man, I really wish I didn't have to delete this game to get Mm. this other one. But once you really get into the flow of doing that, and if you have decent internet, you realize that it doesn't take very long at all to download a normal AAA-sized video game anymore. Yeah. And... Yeah, it just hasn't been that big of a burden. So I will 100% get the expandable storage whenever that comes around, just for convenience sake. Yes. But at this point, I don't think I'm sold, especially for the dollar price you'd have to get for an external drive. And I think I know I said someone said it was external SSDs only, which I know can cost those are a lot lot more more. expensive. Yeah, for a lot less space. Um, So yeah, it's maybe not a good cost value proposition. Mm. Speaking of another cost value proposition, this is from the PlayStation side. Okay. So there's been some business happening backstage at PlayStation Studios. All right. And maybe the most off-the-wall thing to maybe have ever been, not announced, but effectively announced by, you know, Uh Jason Schreier over at Bloomberg. He was pretty much the first person who broke this story. So Sony Bend walked into, you know, what's the, I'm blanking on PlayStation CEO, Jim Ryan. Yeah. Walked into Jim Ryan's office and said, hey. We the collective to, studio for exactly. like 400 people walking exactly. into Jim Ryan's office. They said, we want to make Days Gone 2. Yeah. He said no. Which is already interesting. Yeah. He said, we're, we would rather you do something else. They're like, okay, can we remake the first Uncharted? <laughs> and then he says, sure. And then they start on it and he says, stop. Please remake <laughs> The Last of Us. It's like five minutes into it. Yeah. yeah. This was all in 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, more or less the big story here is that Days Gone 2 was pitched, shot down, and then a little coalition of developers was formed with the intent on remaking the first Uncharted. That was not going well for Sony. They didn't like the outlook on that one, so they said, no, pivot, let's do The Last of Us. Yeah. What do you think about The Last of Us being remade? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, first of all, I think it's really unnecessary. Um, I, I'm curious and... Not to preview something we're going to talk about later. Uh, I kind of this is previewing something I'm going to talk about too. A little oh, bit. interesting. Uh, but we're going to talk about our hot takes in gaming, and this is kind of going to lead into that a little bit. Um, but I'm curious why they thought to remake something so new. Yes. Um, you know, things that people pine for remake wise are things they're nostalgic for, right? And yes, I know the Last of Us one is eight years ago now, 
that's not long enough for me to be nostalgic for it. I mean, yeah. I've still, I mean, that's still my favorite game of all time, but it's not like I'm sitting here thinking, oh man, if only I had a, play to, a way to play The Last of Us well, on the new consoles. Well, the fact that it's a remastered version is available right now to play on a PS5 right. is kind yeah, of bizarre. that's all you need. Um, it's an interesting decision, and I wonder, because obviously the, the rumor is, and this makes a lot of sense, that this is to coincide with the show. Yes. Uh, which will probably give us a little bit more heads up about when the show is actually going to come out. Mm. But are they? I know that with the show, they plan to change some details of the story, which is totally fine. I'm, I'm not mad at that at all. I understand it's a different format. You're probably going to need to change some things. But are they going to retroactively thing, change things in the game to meet that? I hope not. I certainly hope not. Is that going to confuse people? Like, I just, I'm really curious as to what, that has to be the main decision behind this. In the same way that they did the Insom Ratchet and Clank sort of reboot when the movie was coming out. People forget about that movie now, but there was a movie tied to that game. uh, And the game actually used cutscenes from the movie. Yeah. But it's just a weird decision. I don't know. I feel like there are other Sony properties that could be remastered or could be remade. Even Uncharted 1 now, which is a lot. Even though it's in the Nathan Drake collection, which was already remade, I think you'd run into a lot of the same problems. I think Uncharted 1, you could do the Demon Souls thing and definitely give it a little bit more quality of life updates. You know, The Last of Us plays pretty okay, in my opinion. And so, I just, I don't understand the need for it. It feels like a cash grab. Am I still going to buy it? Probably. Yeah, but yeah 100%. I'll, I'll still it. play it. But, like, it's just, it's kind of confusing. Yeah, the Uncharted 1 definitively plays clunkier than yes. it's if you you group one is its own category two and three are their own category yeah. and then there's four yeah one is definitively the le- least obviously it was the first one you know cut them some slack but it right. definitely feels older yes so i could understand like you know let's that would if they had decided to do that i think that would have been a huge indicator of uncharted's coming back relatively yes. soon yeah um so and, now it's and not may, that. may still be though like even if they greenlit the project and then maybe this a, is a case adjusted. where like we don't want to uncharted overload they're actually you know plans in place for uncharted 5 sure but the they line. obviously still see value in that ip to even green light it even if it got changed later yeah, on for sure but i'm with you it's, <laughs> it's such an odd move but and this sort of ties into sort of the narrative around sony right now that they're sort of trying to cut off all the trim all the fats focus yeah. on their biggest blockbuster ips which I understand, and they just want to partner second party with the smaller titles, whatever. I get it. Yeah. But, yeah, we don't need this. There, there is This is time and money being spent on something that's going to be a good return that could be spent on something maybe a little riskier, yeah. but that could give you a much bigger, better return down the line. Sure. Uh, uh, I want to say, too, that like as someone who has owned Days Gone for a while, never really played it, mm. um, actually never booted it up at all, but... I haven't either. <laughs> I own uh, it. I would have preferred seeing Days Gone 2, or if they can't do Days Gone 2, just do a new game. That, just try something new. Um, and I, I know a lot of people, the narrative on Days Gone in, within itself is very interesting. That like Critically, it was kind of panned at the beginning. Then there was a, a sort of vocal minority uh, shift in it that it was like, actually, if you play this game now that they've updated it, it they fixed a lot of the bugs. Mm-hmm. The game's pretty good. I know a lot of people who played it three, six months after it came out who were like, no, it's a fun open world game. It may not be on the same level as like a you know, a Last of Us or a God of War or whatever, but it's still a good game. Um, and I think that Sony is almost spoiled by their own riches in a weird Definitely. way, and, like, they can't just live with an okay game existing under their studio, and it has to be great or nothing, and I feel like you let that studio try something else completely different. Yeah. Um, so I kind of feel sorry for Sony Ben. Also, one of the weird things, 
here is and I mean who knows maybe they want to remake Last of Us I don't know but it feels like they're kind of being forced to um, one of the weirdest things that came out from this was that they don't want to make because one of the plans originally was to break off some of this team and make them do remasters mm. and or remakes or whatever to almost do like the blue point thing. I said it's not like you already have a studio that's the best in the world at doing just that <laughs> right but I there's only one blue point and so if you had blue point say like okay we're gonna work with you we're gonna show you our processes we're gonna you know somebody who works over there is like a second or third in the line is gonna be your you know, art director, game director, yeah. whatever, then you can start churning out a lot more of these. And these obviously do well money wise for them. They keep making him. Everybody gets excited about what blue point could be working on next as having like a blue point Oregon or whatever. I feel like makes more sense than making Sony Ben do this. I don't know. It's just weird. I don't, I don't get the decision. I'm with you that I, I did not want days gone too, but the main motivation for me behind that is I didn't want days gone one. Sure. When it was first announced, I was like, okay, oh, Ben's you know, logo popped up at that one E three. It's like, yeah. oh, we're finally gonna figure out what Ben's doing. And hot off the heels of The Last of Us, they're just doing another zombie game. Right. Like with a seemingly less interesting protagonist and like Yeah. You yeah. obviously are probably not gonna be able to develop characters quite in the same way in an open world game. It's possible. Sure. But Naughty Dog are, you know, savants at telling stories in video yeah. games. So I was like, this is just clearly going to be in Last of Us a shadow from the jump. I'm not that interested. Right. So I would have been happy if we learned that Days Gone 2 was scrapped and they said, no, try something new. Yeah, we're working on our own thing. That would have been much more intriguing to Agreed. me. Uh, and I think a better use of Sony's time than to remake a game that has already pretty much been remade once. Yeah. So, yeah, confusing things happening over there. For and sure. a potential loss of a future revenue source for Sony comes in the form of a potential Hideo Kojima and Xbox partnership on oh, a new uh, game. Oh, uh. Who would have thought? <laughs> Not me. No. So is that all we know? Is it just that? Yeah, it's a rumored thing that Xbox has reached out to Hideo Kojima about potentially having his next game be an Xbox game. Hmm. That makes sense for them to do it. I, I mean, like, Xbox... They're snatching everything up. Yeah, shoot your shot. And uh, I, I totally get it. I Listen, Kojima, as someone who has only played Metal Gear Solid Five, Me too. Um, and only played, a, like, a bit of it. I probably played, like, 20% of that game because that game's huge. Um, I get it. I, I want to play through all the Metal Gear Solid games at some point. But, uh, you know, Death Stranding was such a unique thing. <laughs> For better or for worse, I've still never played it, but I am still intrigued by it. Oh, yeah. 100%. Uh, and it's a very interesting concept, and I think Kojima is just one of those people that is a license to print money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he has a very dedicated fan base. He is one of the few people that can genuinely intrigue me in a way that very thing, very few things in games can. He's like, what even is this? But yeah. I kind of trust him with it. Uh, it's, it's very odd, but, you know... I, I thought already that it was just kind of inked in stone that Sony and Kojima were going to be working together moving forward. Sure. I guess that's not the case. Um, I'm curious if Sony... I'm curious if this is a, the same situation as... Uh, I may be wrong here, but was the game called Rime? Do you remember this game? R-I-M-E? Yes. I remember a game uh, called Rime. Which was going to be a PlayStation exclusive, and then PlayStation went in to that studio... Yes, I remember this. ...and basically took back their dev units for the PS... I think for the PS5 or maybe the PS4... Um, but basically said, you know what, where this game's at, we don't care. We're not going to put the PlayStation money behind it. Like, we'll pay our contract so far, but we're not paying you to be an exclusive anymore. And then the game came out everywhere, and it was decent. I think it got, like, good reviews and stuff. Yeah. So I wonder if it's a case like that where 
maybe they're <laughs> unhappy with Death Stranding in some way, or maybe they think that's not where their money lies. I don't know. PlayStation's making some baffling decisions. And again, this may not even be a decision on PlayStation part. Kojima could just said, okay, you're willing to sort of back me and let me build my studio and let me do my thing. I appreciate that so much. But they could have pulled a... Um, oh, the Beyond Two Souls developer. Um, oh, uh, well, I got you. What is, what is their name? See if you can get it. It's a race against Google. Uh, Beyond They two just made Detroit Become Human. Souls was made by Quantic Dream. Quantic, thank you. Because uh, so <coughs> Quantic is like not owned by Sony, but a lot of their stuff is PlayStation exclusive, but they're their own sort of thing. Right. Kind of how Insom was before they were exclusive. This actually sounds a lot like Insom doing Sunset Overdrive. So who yeah, knows? Right. Maybe, maybe, that's, right. maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe. And Death Stranding is a very polarizing game, you know? Yeah. Like some people, you you kind of have to read between the lines to see the greatness of the game because from all that I've heard, the gameplay itself most of the time is relatively benign and boring. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of the point. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not... Th- this is a big story on paper. Mm. I don't know if it's a big story if it actually happens. Because mm. I'm with you. that Like Sunset Overdrive to, you know, Spider-Man was like an incredible jump. From, sure. You know, in partially in quality, but just like it didn't really matter. You had Xbox got a good game, PlayStation got a good game, right? And that's fine. Um, if the next game that Kojima makes comes out and is as sort of niche and weird as Death Stranding, yeah, I think Sony might be internally thinking, well, this was going to be a hard game to sell to our mm. mass audience anyway, hmm. so we're okay. We sure would like it, but we don't sure. need it. It's not something we're gonna go yeah. spend a. a ton and like of money I said, on. like I, some people are lambasting Sony for being like, oh, they're they're selling out. They're just corporate. They're just they want all the big yeah. games. They just want, they're the MCU of video games, which they said they want to do. By the way, this is something that the they, MCU is great. Yeah, and also <laughs> shocker, all of these things are companies. I hate this. This bothers me so much. And additional hot take, I guess, for later. Oh, I hate when people. Prioritize some game companies as, oh, they're business, they're out for money, and some people are just like they have the favor of the of the fans. Like, this was the way with Blizzard forever. <coughs> Bl- uh, yeah. Blizzard's the one I always think of, which is like, oh, it's Blizzard. You know, they made World of Warcraft. We love that game. There's oh, Blizzard's such good people. We you know we love them. They are owned by Activision. Yeah, and Blizzard increasingly, and I think more people are starting to like be uh, you know aware of this now. They don't care. As much as you think they do about, like, their public perception. They want to make money. And that's okay. Like, it is okay that these companies want to make money. Granted, some are more cutthroat than others. Some do more giving back. All that kind of stuff. And those those things should be applauded when the companies act like good companies. But at the end of the day, this is still a market. And they still want to make money. So, it's just, it's very interesting. I mean, as someone who went to business school twice, you learn in business school that even when you do things that make you look good to the public, it is in the pursuit of profit. Sure, yeah. Like you're as looking, cynical as that sounds. Well, no, I mean it's a good for a company. It's great because like, oh, we can do a thing that we want to do that has you know whether it's being more sustainable, doing some charity stuff. Right. It's both good for the company and good for the public. Sure. So no judgments from me yeah, yeah, in that and regard. Like, it's not saying that there can't be people at the company who legitimately want to do that yeah. or focus their efforts toward it or. Like, it's good for morale, too, when you get to go help people, you Absolutely. know, during whatever charity thing. It's just good all around. And the fact that people get so cynical about about it is yeah. bizarre. I mean, we have business and marketing. So, like, obviously, we're going to we're going to lean this way. But yeah. 
I don't know. It's just it's just interesting to see yeah. how some people perceive. Well, let's it see how let's see how it pans out. Xbox has so many coals in the fire right now. They do. Like the <clears throat> they're loading up that cannonball to shoot at Sony and see if it breaks the ship. <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking of Pirates of the Caribbean. All the PS Five shaped ship. Exactly. That would be an awesome looking ship. It would. I almost this okay. Spoiler alert for the topic. We're going to talk about our hot takes here. In a We're minute. teasing it a lot. <clears throat> Part of me was thinking about saying that the PS Five is well. The PS5 digital version yeah. is the aesthetically best looking console of all time. I almost of all said time. That. Okay, it's weird. I almost went with the version now is better than the black version people want. That was mm. almost my take. Mm. I almost okay. did one of those. So that's funny. We we're both thinking about the way the PS5 looks. <clears throat> well, let's just get there. I'm ready for this. All right. I love hot takes. Jay, I have a new segment for you. Oh. I have uh, unexpected. I have, I have worked on this. I did not tell you this was going to happen. This segment, I don't know how how often it's gonna it's gonna pop up. Oh, I like it. But uh, this is called crazy shit I found on Reset Era. <laughs> so uh, Reset Era, if you don't know, is what uh, <laughs> basically what NeoGaf used to be. It's the it's the largest video game forum. Uh, this is one post by user the Ghost. Love it. I'm just gonna read it to him. I'm not gonna read you the title. So it's Jin Sakai, correct? The Ghost of Tsushima. Ah. Uh, I did not know his last name was Sakai, and I was trying to rack my brain. Gotcha. Uh, at eleven at eight eleven a.m. a few days ago, great they, time to be posting stuff on the internet. They said, "I don't need a T. Lau remake. I don't need an Uncharted remake. I need a The Order eighteen eighty six remake." Are you kidding me? <laughs> Here's a universe that was filled with mystery. Just asking for some high-level writing, some good-feeling gameplay, some epic adventures with some juicy stakes. Give it to Naughty Dog. <laughs> Let them do <laughs> Let them do the universe justice. For the love of God, give it to HBO afterwards. <laughs> Give Neil Druckmann a blank check. Spoiler alert, he already has that. Yeah, exactly. Let him hunker down, draft, write, execute. I feel like this is one of two IPs last gen that did not get the shine it deserves. The other being Insomniac Sunset Overdrive, Mm. which that one might be a little more valid. Even if it's just a smaller project that is a $40 entry into the universe to test the waters, I just want more. Okay. Mr. Ghost. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, obviously. Does anyone in there... No one on the planet wants this besides this person. I mean, listen, I, I never played Order 1886. I watched Andrew play it. Um, It looked fine. And it like, looked... Aesthetically, looks good. looks great. Yeah. But, like, the gameplay was weird. The world was interesting, but that's not... A, that's the thing. I'm intrigued by the setting, like, the werewolves, Victorian London. Sure. All cool things. But the idea of giving it to Naughty Dog, first was, of all... It, <laughs> As if they couldn't craft something better is bizarre, yeah, given, from given their track record. Yeah, uh, the idea of giving Neil Druckmann a blank check and then making it a forty dollar <laughs> game doesn't make any sense. Like, it, I just saw this and I started dying laughing, and I had to share it with you. If so. anything, if they were going to give Neil Druckmann a blank check, it would be, hey, Neil Druckmann, make a game in the same broad style but let's not attach it to this IP that was clearly a failure yeah and no one is gonna remember (laughs) no like the uh, granted we would remember it but like you know your your person who goes into a Walmart and buys a video game has no idea what the order 1886 is Um, and rightfully so by all accounts yeah exactly it's just uh, what a what a bizarre thought and that was crazy shit that's their hot take yeah for sure and let's get into some of ours 
So I brought this up to Tanner because I love this sort of thing. This is the kind of thing that if it were, if I was just doing my own thing all day, I would just be Googling things, finding my opinions, bringing them to my friends. Now, let's talk about this. So let's do just that. Yeah, we have each got 10 yes. of our hottest takes yes. in video games. And now, what I prefaced this earlier is we might not have analytics per se <laughs> to back up some of these things. Yeah. But these are our emotional, guttural opinions. Yes. Tanner, give me your first hot take. Breath of the Wild is the best Zelda game. Is that that hot of a take? It no, is. I'm gonna we it can is. question each other. Okay. okay. Uh, people think it's Ocarina. I almost said I almost put one of my hot takes was Breath of the Wild is overrated. Oh, interesting. It's still great. It's awesome. Uh, so here's here's my case. I've played through now Link to the Past, Ocarina, some of Majora because that game's impossible to stream. Uh, Wind Waker, and now I'm playing Twilight Princess. All I have left is Skyward Sword for the mainline console Zelda games. What I've seen from Skyward Sword, I can already make this opinion. Um, Because it was motion controlled, and like even if the remake's great, it's not going to be. Are you going to play the remake? Yeah, I'll I'll wait for the remake. Um, None of them... I'm going to be a little controversial here. Have even held a candle to Breath of the Wild. Okay, now that's better. Um, I think it is by far the best Zelda game. It lets you do the most stuff. Um... It is paced differently than any other Zelda game, and it is something, I will be completely transparent, Breath of the Wild is my first Zelda game. Mm-hmm. So I have none of the preconceived notions of what a Zelda game should be coming into it, uh, which I think is what a lot of people view as negative. Oh, there's not dungeons. Who cares? <laughs> there's the spirit animal or spirit beast or whatever they're called. Those are good enough. Yeah. I don't need 30-minute and hour-long dungeons. I wouldn't even say the dungeons are fun for sure, I don't even know if that's the best part of Zelda. I think just the overall world and, like, just uh, the overall feeling of Zelda is better than, like, the dungeon specifically. Breath of the Wild does all of that. Uh, The shrines are the most fun I've had in any Zelda game, period. Uh, As someone who loves Link to the Past and would say it's pretty easily second for me, uh, none of that comes close to just the pure experimentation allowed in shrines. Like, obviously, shrines have a way they're supposed to be solved. But if you want to telekinesis and jump yeah. on a rock and hit it a bunch of times and fly to the end, you can. Yeah. And it's awesome. Like, it is it is a playground, but built so craftingly, and the music's great. And, I mean, like, all this stuff applies to every Zelda game. But, to me, it is far and away the best Zelda game, and I'm kind of confused as to why that's not the broad opinion. Question, then. Yeah. Because I know the prevailing opinion is that Ocarina... I think if you polled Zelda fans, Ocarina would be... Number one. Yeah. On your personal ranking right now, yeah. where is Ocarina? Three or four. Okay. Wow. Um, Link to the Past is second. It's either third. I really loved Wind Waker, mm-hmm. and part of it is the art style. ages a lot better than Ocarina's definitely, art style. Definitely. Um, and I obviously am coming. I appreciate Ocarina historically. I get it. Um, I, I totally get it. But... Playing them all through now, we have the advantages of modern gameplay. Mm -hmm. Wind Waker plays a lot more like a modern game would, um, especially like the Wii U remake or HD version. It's basically the same game. Um, Ocarina feels clunky in some ways. It also can get frustrating. There's a couple areas in dungeons that are not very explanatory and just really confusing for, I don't think, much reason. Yeah. Um, And people can say like, oh, get good, whatever. I hate that rhetoric anyway. 
But uh, yeah, it's either three or four. I think Wind Waker is a more purely fun game, but I think Ocarina is more important historically. So for me personally, it's probably four. But I, I think if I were putting out a list, I'd put it three just to so not I'm have the pitchforks. Draw even more hot takes out of you. Okay. All right. But we're gonna move on to mine first. All right. My first one. I'm gonna get the obvious one out of the way. Okay. Because we've talked about it a lot, <laughs> and we like to piss off the nerds. <laughs> Mass Effect sucks. Okay? Uh. It sucks. <laughs> you want to get the only... Okay, having played a little bit of Mass Effect 3 and seen things from pretty much all of them. Yeah. The only selling point that I could see in the point of this, of this game is the actual RPG elements and, like, the stories and the characters. That's all well and good. Mm. But I have not gotten deep into it, one of these games enough to understand that. And based on my experience, I see a boring Commander Shepard... I see clunky, stiff third-person shooter gameplay. Yeah. Like, I just... How could you get far enough into one of these games to get that invested in the story? Yeah. Like, I just... I don't understand it. And we'll see how well this take ages, because we... I we said that I was going to play the remasters, and I've I'm going to do too. it. Yeah. I'm going to do it. I'll stream it. But I just... I agree with you. From the From right now, where it stands, I don't get the fervor. I don't get the fervor behind Dragon Age. I've watched some. Oh gosh! Which is, uh, by the way, the same studio. Um, like Dragon Age is a game that, on paper, I think I could get into, and then I watch it, and I'm like, I'm good. Uh, I, I remember when the uh, so 2014, the accursed year of video games yeah. that, that was. Um, Dr- Dragon Age Inquisition was one of the most lauded games of that year. Yeah, and I remember people saying this is sort of like Dragon Age's Skyrim, mm. and I was like, oh, so here I go. I got. <laughs> I tried it. No, like <laughs> not my kind of thing. Yeah, uh, I watched someone. I, I watched a friend of mine, Bree. I watched her play through a lot of. I think it was either Inquisition or Origins. I want to say it was Inquisition, and it was fun to watch her play through them. But she loves that series. Yeah. And for me, I was just like, I, "This is all I need. I don't need to ever touch these games. I've seen enough. I'm I'm good." Yeah. So we will continue to shit on Mass Effect. Uh, and it's funny because they validated us with Andromeda. Sure, so, you yeah, know, of and course, like, yeah. People getting all hype about you know Mass Effect Five that was te- or whatever it ends up being whether it's another spinoff that was teased yeah. not too long ago. Like, do you Anthem? I don't understand the hype, but we'll see if I do here shortly. Is Bioware just a bad studio? <laughs> <laughs> Bioware might be a studio that has aged badly, mm. you know? Yeah, because obviously underst- they were at the forefront yeah. for a little bit. I understand the appeal of, like, a Mass Effect 1 in that, you know, late 2000s. Like, early 360 era. Yeah, yeah. you're like, you know, you're not looking for the tightest controls. And if it tells a, a, a compelling story, which I know a lot of people, you know, the stories in Mass Effect 1 and 2 seem to be the most well-received. Yeah. I can understand how you could get attached, but I was not around for that. And looking as, as an objective viewer from the outside, seeing this whole series, I do not understand the appeal. Mm. I would agree with you there. And now that's the obvious one out of the way. I'm much more excited for the rest of my okay. Uh, my next my next point. I have more than ten, so I got to narrow it down. Um, I don't know. I might just be like, just give it to me. I love this kind of thing gets me excited. There is one that I deleted. I'll just give it to you now. Okay. The connect was awesome. <laughs> 
<laughs> you yeah, know? Rancor Rampage, like, man, of that Star Wars game. Was the so freaking Wii, like, I love the Wii and I love the Wii, you know, controllers <laughs> or whatever, but, like, they don't feel good. They're just little rectangles. The PlayStation Move, if you bought one of those, you, who cares? Like, you're not getting any good games on that. The Connect, you don't have anything in your hands. You just can do all these things. It shows you how well the motions are being received. Connect was great. I don't know if I can agree with you there based on the promise, but uh, it was a fun toy. Okay. Aside from Mario, Zelda, and Pokemon, Nintendo is horrible at managing its IP. Mm, okay. Okay. Uh, I think, look at something like... Kirby, Me- <laughs> as I said. Yeah, in the last, last episode. Uh, look at something like Metroid. Huh. You could have cranked out a Metroid game, at least for every console, if not more, uh, you could give it to somebody like, uh, oh, what was the name of that game that was very Metroid-like? It was on the Vita. Oh, uh, I know the game you're talking about. Axiom Verge. Yes. Give it to that guy. Just ma- <laughs> let him make a Metroid game. Or give it to Yacht Club. Or give it to Drinkbox. Or something like, like hey, and obviously this is talking about 2D Metroid games. You know, Rare has been supposedly working on a Metroid Prime game for, or, or is it Retro? It's Retro, not Rare. Sorry. Rare, Rare is owned by Microsoft. Right. Um, retro has been working on a Metroid Prime game now for who knows how long. They teased it. Metroid like, Prime 4? Yeah, they yeah. teased it like three years ago now. Nothing. There's some great, like, <laughs> schadenfreude mm. in watching reactions to people, like, for that trailer. Yeah. Getting so, like, they are losing their minds. And yeah. part of me, and like, now, obviously, but it's like, this game might never happen. <laughs> yeah. I think that. I mean, Metroid's just the bottom of the... I mean, like, Donkey Kong, people really like that Tropical Freeze game, but Mm -hmm. where is the next Donkey Kong game? Um, If it doesn't have Mario in it, it seems like they don't know how to take care of it in a weird way, and maybe that's just where their focuses are, but I also... I have almost a hotter take, which is that just Nintendo is overrated overall. Um, As far as, like, a modern games company. Yes. They're uh, another one that has not aged the best their philosophies don't work anymore yeah um with like their directs are are i mean and i don't really love the direct style at all the sort of more more new updates like are more frequent updates but less impactful mm. I, that's just leads to disappointment for me over and over again um and so seeing playstation adapt to that is kind of sucked but like uh, yeah state of plays do suck the way they introduced uh, Skyward Sword and said Breath of the Wild 2 is coming along great. That was awful. Let's show you Skyward Sword instead. And then we're going to end on Splatoon 2 or Splatoon 3, 3 right? right? Uh, sorry, I forgot there You're was in the second one. But like, Justifiable. New Splatoon, Splatoon, uh, was just so weird. Like, the way they manage those things are so weird. Uh, and Nintendo has so many properties that they could go back and, and give new love to. And they just don't, or when they do, it's a limited time thing, and then you can't buy it anymore, and it's just, I, they could print so much more money if they would just get over themselves, and I don't understand it. Yeah. I agree to a certain extent, and yeah, I even think you can make the argument that they don't handle Pokemon super well. Yeah, I almost just said Mario and Zelda, but then I thought, at least they (coughs) they keep trying with Pokemon. Pokemon, they just do the shotgun blast of, like, Mm -hmm. we're going to give you all the different Pokemon content, and some of it's going to stick, and some of it isn't. Yeah. Which, for better or for worse. Pokemon brush your teeth thing. (laughs) Remember that? What? (laughs) This was at a Pokemon, uh, what do they call those? Not Pokemon Directs. Uh, Presents. Presents, yeah. Pokemon Presents, the first one. It was like an app on your phone to get kids to brush their teeth, and it was like, oh, Pikachu will brush your teeth with you. Shocking. Yeah. I don't know if that ever made it to light, but it was a thing, I promise. 
All right. My second hot take. Why would anyone like the old Resident Evil games? Oh. They look awful. <laughs> so you're not talking about the remakes. You're I'm, talking about. I'm talking about the tank control. Yeah. Like old like Resident school. Evil 1. Yeah. Maybe like one through like three or four-ish. Right. Four is the more shootery one. Four is the one that on GameCube. I know people love Resident Evil 4. But like yeah. those old Resident Evils, I'm like. And, the, and that style was just very common for particularly horror games of like mm-hmm. that late 90s or 2000s like Silent Hill yeah I understand the atmosphere that they built but I'm like how how could you play these these seem like borderline <laughs> yeah. impossible to play yeah moving from tiny room to tiny room having animations maybe this might be a Silent Hill thing so maybe I'm gonna lump those two together yeah but like I think it was a Silent Hill game where like you open a door and then there's a whole animation, little like three second cutscene that plays of just a door, a door like opening. Yeah. And then you're in the next room. Yeah. Whoever, I mean, you're restrained by the technology of your time. Sure. I understand. Yeah. And people really love the aesthetic and vibe of Silent Hill. And I understand that. Reading a little bit about Silent Hill, I'm like, I can understand how this is horrifying to someone yeah. of like that age. And I really hope that we get another Silent Hill game sometime. Yeah. Because as a non-horror games person, but I do want to see a game that comes out that is truly like lauded. This is like the scariest game of all time. Right. Because then want, I would just be tempted to try it just you because of that. You want to see PT Exactly. Yeah. Which, oh my goodness. That thing was terrifying. I never played it, but... You can play the remake in Dreams, and it's pretty much a one-for-one one from what I've been told. Like, and it seems absolutely I, petrifying. I played it, and it was terrifying. The, the, the scare, which I played PT originally for a little bit, and I was like, this is very not much, yeah. very much not my thing. Um, didn't we not play it the night we played Outlast? I thought we played some PT, but maybe not. I don't think I, I don't think I've ever personally had the sticks in my hand for PT. Mm, okay. um, but there was thank a God. yeah, there's a moment in PT which how you solve that game is ridiculous anyway. There's a moment in PT though where it's like, you know, there's this radio broadcast coming on, and as you're going through a door, it's just like look behind you, and it's the, the chick. Yeah, it's like the well, no, just like the guy saying. It's just like, and there was news today. Look behind you, and it's just like he keeps going, and I was like, oh, <laughs> like, oh, I hated it. Well, and I hated the fact it so that much. the thing that came out not too long ago, where like people who were digging into like the uh, code of the game, yeah, the chick is always behind, behind you, and you can never see her, but she's just always there. Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> but that's good horror. Yeah, we like that. Not but, the tank controls. No, the tank controls look absolutely unplayable. I'm a little easier on it than you are, I think, simply because. It's the PS1, and that's going to go into my next one. Ooh. Uh, the N64 era has aged worse than any other era in video games. Wow. Um, it is, which kind of makes logical sense. Uh, you know, NES, Atari era, obviously those games are rudimentary, but at least you can go back and pretty much play them exactly as, as they were meant to play. SNES develops on all those. One of the greatest consoles, in my opinion, of all time. Yeah. The N64 and by by association the PS1, those games were trying something very new in 3D, and it is just plain out hard to play some of them now. When I played Ocarina, um, which is my I guess my most recent or Majora would be my most recent N64 played game, but like when I played it, first of all, the N64 controller is ass. It's probably the worst controller ever made for a major console. Yeah, I, I hate it. it. It is um, different. It it's just it hurts to hold. I don't know how you're supposed to yeah, hold it's it. It's borderline sharp in yeah, some it, places. Like, I, my hands, I remember my hands cramping so much playing the N64 um or playing with that controller. 
it so the controller doesn't age well the graphics don't age well we were still figuring out how cameras work so <laughs> even stuff like super mario 64 the camera's frustrating yeah um there is just a lot of stuff we would learn along the way but as someone who's nostalgic for some of those games like no mercy and super mario 64 and all that kind of stuff we need to remember what we were like back then and what games were like back then and how much we didn't know because those games do not age as well as you think they do i promise um and so yeah i just think that that era has way aged way worse than anything else i think you're right just by you know the fact that you're breaking into the 3d realm with that generation yeah there's obviously going to be a lot of growing pains 2d 8-bit 16-bit like 16-bit was technically what is what how many bits is mario 64 oh i don't know is that like 64 i don't know yeah i'm not sure doesn't matter. 16-bit is... 16-bit is like fancy yeah. pixel art. Like all that kind of is 16-bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's like NES is Symphony of the Night and like all right. that jazz. Yeah. That sort of game still plays so well. Yeah. Can still control super crisply. Yeah. That's um, why the whole like retro indie scene yeah. was super into it because it still works. So I understand. I think, you know, you're probably right that as much as I love a game like Super Mario 64 and some of those early 3D games, yeah, they definitely were the absolute prototypes of the games that would come later. Sure. So, I understand that. My next one. Okay. With the exception of a couple of studios. Okay. Your Naughty Dogs, your Rockstars, maybe. Mm. I'm more impressed and think that there are higher quality developers at the likes of Sony San Diego, EA, and 2K, the people who develop a sports game every year. Mm. Because... You understand how much work That's goes funny. into a typical video game. Some of these games, like we just teased Metroid Prime 4, that game might take 34 years to make. <laughs> right. These people, especially like, and there are people ebb and flow. Like there are certain Madden games. There are certain 2K sure. games that are better than others. Sure. But let's take Sony San Diego as an example. Yeah. MLB they the put show. Out, and we talked about MLB The Show last week. Mm-hmm. They put out a supremely high quality baseball simulator game every year that seems to have a lot of different bells and whistles that change from year to year. Yep. Sure, they can build off the same engine. They don't, they don't have to update their engine like every game. Yeah. But I'm consistently impressed by the quality output of studios like this compared to like a, a Bend, and that's the studio I'm going to pick on for this. Right. You took that long to make a game like Days Gone that was a genre ripoff of another game that was a first-party success. <laughs> I don't know if and I call it a ripoff, but... Well, you know, it's another zombie game, whatever. Yeah. But, like, a game that came out and sort of didn't stick with most people enough that at least your second game didn't get greenlit. Yeah. Whereas these studios are just pumping out board... Well, I mean, Quality. they're kind of... They're at least good games yes. pretty much every year. Yeah. You know? I, I think the... I think it's cool to celebrate those devs, especially because... It has to be a little creatively frustrating to just be like, all right, back to baseball. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and obviously you can find your creativity in those bells and whistles. You know, you could do a card system. You could do, you know, whatever system. And 2K does like their single player modes and sure, stuff that come yeah. up periodically. Like story modes. Madden started doing that too. Um, but then also 2K will do like, there's a lot of depth to those games yeah. and they probably don't need them, but they're great for that fan base. Uh, and yeah, no, I think they definitely deserve credit. I don't know if they're more impressive in a way, but I think they definitely deserve more celebration than they get. I mean, I, you know, Sony San Diego, like Naughty Dog is obviously one, maybe our favorite studio period bar none. Yeah. And even still they take three, 
four years between each game. Sure. Which is, I mean, take your time. Absolutely. And that's relatively fast to put out games of the quality that they do. Yeah. But to put out a game every year is stunningly efficient for a studio. And it must make a shit ton of money. Absolutely. Um, Otherwise, I wouldn't keep doing it. To segue in from that, Mm -hmm. the reputation of sports gamers is wrong. So sports gamers? Yes. Oh. So a lot of people will pick on gamers. Gatekeeping is huge in the gaming community, obviously. Yeah, it is. Um, and a lot of people will be like, oh, if you just play Madden and Call of Duty, you're not a real gamer. My argument is that sports gamers, people who, you know, really get into like your 2Ks, your Maddens, your MLB the shows. Our friend who played 800 hours of MLB the show. Are some of the most hardcore gamers there are. Now, I'm saying this because obviously I personally think if you want to call yourself a gamer, go for it. I don't care if you just play Candy Crush. I don't care if you played Minecraft when you were in middle school. I don't care. That's fine. Gaming is such a uh, sort of widespread thing now. It's borderline ubiquitous. Like that was the word I was looking for. Thank you. Um, it is. It's such a ubiquitous thing. Like it, almost everyone plays some sort of yeah. game uh, if you're you know under a certain age. Um, that like there should not be these weird identity uh, sort of debates with calling yourself a gamer, right? And a lot of people will give the reputation of someone who just plays Call of Duty and just plays Madden. You know, they're not real gamer. They're yeah. just whatever. You know, they're a frat, <clears throat> frat boy, whatever. But we know, like, Skinny, our buddy, played 800 hours of MLB The Show last year. I didn't play 800 hours of, of anything. anything. Um, I played 800 hours of, like, my top five or six games combined. Combi- yeah, exactly. So it's like, I, I totally respect. And as someone who... Uh, every other year or so will get wrapped up in a 2k or something like I, I've dipped my toe in those waters and like you're playing the game every day you're playing it two to three hours a day to play your five or six games whatever and then like you just rinse and repeat I think they are hardcore as hell and the reputation of, of sports gamers overall I think is just wrong I love that the term gamer has taken on the meme status of like oh you're a ga- gamer like, like you're buying the you know. rise up gamers yes yeah. I love that because yeah I love its meme status too it's reclaiming it in the sense that if you're the type of person that is willing to gatekeep that word you deserve to have it thrown back in your right. face in yes. that way yeah so I hundred I agree with you very much so on that okay Tanner I'm just gonna let you know oh in my entire list I, two words are capitalized completely okay the first word was mass effect sucks was all capitals (laughs) all right this is the only other capitalized word okay video game review scores are great Mm. great is in all capitals there has been a movement in recent years where websites like ign Kotaku has not done numbered reviews in For quite a long, a long time. time. Yeah, Polygon still does numbers, but then they'll quabble about like, oh, should we do like a hundred point scale, a twenty point scale, a ten point scale, whatever Which, it may be. By the way, if I'm going to explain that really quick, because a lot it. of video game podcasts refer to that, and I never knew what that meant for mm-hmm. a long time. So what that means is a ten point scale is you can only give a game one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, or ten. There are no decimal scales. A twenty point scale is you can only give a game. 0.51, 1. 1.52, 2. 2.53, etc. Uh, so you have half numbers. A 100-point scale is you can give anything from 0.1 to 10.0. So you can give something a 5.6 or a 7.4, whatever. That is what... So 10-point is the simple one. 20-point is the half scores. 100-point is all decimals. Yeah. Just so people know. Yeah. And to me, I want you to get as granular as possible. 
Um, because yeah, I like, I like 100 points. To me, the thing that you should only be looking at a review and sort of deciphering is the person reviewing it. Mm. You should look at the history of a person. If you're like a fan of someone at a particular website, you could say, okay, I know how they feel about yes. X game. Yes. They gave that game a blank score. So if they gave this game a blank score, here's what I should think about it. Right. In a I, rough scale. Yes. You should find the reviewer that most mirrors your tastes. Yes. I wholeheartedly agree. And if they're putting out a score, you know you can trust them. And then, you know, you're not, you know, worded reviews are great. And I understand, you know, it's much better if you can take the time to read a review that's someone took the time to write. Obviously, you should do it. Yes. But if you're just, you know, you don't have a ton of time, you're scrolling through, you see, oh, this game got a. 9.4 from IGN. Yeah. You click on it and they're like top level reviewer who you totally identify with gave it that score. You're like, okay, this is pretty much an instant buy for me. Right. I think it's great for marketing. I think it's great for not only marketing the games, marketing these websites. I think mm. it's a lot better way to sell your reviews if you can say, I gave this game a 9.6 versus I highly recommend this game. Because what does right. highly recommend really mean? Yeah. You know? I, I totally agree with you. I would rather specific reviewers get more granular than just a website being more broad. Yeah. Um, and like like you said, I think uh, one of my favorite videos on this or favorite discussions on this, Dunky did a video mm. about video game reviews and video game journalism and how sort of trusting a website is a problem, right? Like, oh, I always agree, or like not always agree because that would be actually a good thing, but like I trust if IGN or I trust if Polygon gave this an eight. You should, like Jay said, you should find people that you agree with. That's how I originally found Greg Miller. Yep. It was like, oh, Greg likes the same kind of games I do. I'm going to try this game that he really liked. And even if it doesn't miss, then you can say like, okay, well, maybe he leans more toward yeah. this genre and, than, than you know, I do. Don't trust them absolutely. No, you know? of course not. But that's a good indicator of right. this game might be a game for me. And that can be the deciding factor of whether you buy it at, if it's a tr new AAA game whether you buy it at $60 whether you wait for it to go on sale for $30 right. whether you wait for it to go on Plus or Game Pass for free you yeah. know, before you dive in you know, they're great indicators for when and how much you should invest into a game I think yes I, I totally agree I think you're absolutely right also uh, just to clarify a little bit the 100 point scale also applies to things like Metacritic where you can get like a 96 that's just a 9.6 yeah. that's the same thing um I I I miss the days of scrolling through a news feed or scrolling through different websites and seeing what each place gave it. Yeah, and that's uh, I didn't even acknowledge that maybe the best way to judge the quality of a game is like their Metacritic aggregate score from you know? critics, exactly, not from users. You know, when you can get fifty people who have you know been playing thousands of games, yeah, and get their aggregate average score, that's a pretty good indicator of how quality a game is going to be. Yeah, totally. So, I agree with you. It's a lot of us agreeing, but maybe we'll we'll have something. Uh, okay. Maybe, maybe next one for me, honestly. My next hot take. No matter how great a game is, a bad fan base can ruin it. Mm. Uh, now, a lot of these takes, or a few of these takes, are kind of coming from my stream uh, experience at this point. Because every time you stream a game, especially if it's a game that's like critically claimed... Uh, or that has a, a really fervent fan base, you will meet people from that fan base. And they are sort of, in a weird way, representations of the game. Um, you know, there are some people who only watch Bloodborne streams, right? There are some people who just watch Fortnite streams, whatever. And uh, my experience with this, and the thing that I'm basing this off of, is Undertale. Yeah. Now, I... I know we talked about this a little bit. Yeah, Undertale is a great game, and I appreciate that 100%. My opinions on Undertale have very much soured 
simply because when I played that game, uh, to and only weirdly only on the last stream I played it, uh, my entire playthrough was fun until the last stream, my finale stream. And then people were so aggressive asking me why I didn't do certain pathways, make certain decisions in a game all about doing your own pathway and making your own decision. It'd be like coming into someone's Walking Dead stream and being like, oh, why did you choose this thing over this thing? It's like, well, that's the whole point. Um, You know, just talking about how I wasn't valuing shit enough, things like that, that Undertale legitimately to me is a game that doesn't have as good a reputation in my head as it should. And I've docked it for that just because of the bad fan base. This is something I'm very weary of with The Last of Us. Um, Overall, I think The Last of Us has a very good fan base, but there is a very vocal minority on places like Twitch that get, and this this happens a lot with games. I've experienced this a lot streaming. People get very defensive about them. And if someone criticizes it, as someone who loves The Last of Us, there are certain criticisms that I totally get. Sure. Obviously, it doesn't, like, you know, other games play smoother now in 2021 than they did in 2013. I get that. Um, you know, when people don't love whatever thing, normally criticisms are valid. It takes something really wacky for me to be like, that's a stupid criticism. Because um, we're all bringing our own experiences to everything. There's some people who are like, if you say anything negative about X game, you're wrong and you're stupid and you suck. And all that's going to do, this goes back to gatekeeping in a way, is just ruin someone's opinion of that thing. Yeah. And I just, I think... This is the Rick and Morty syndrome to me. Mm. I always think of Rick and Morty in this way, which is like, (laughs) I watched the first season of Rick and Morty. I thought it was really funny. There's some great episodes in that, like some really, really funny episodes. I have not watched an episode of Rick and Morty since, or maybe I watched the second season, but since then I haven't because the fan base is so toxic. Yeah. And so like Rick and Morty is the best show ever made. It's the best animated show, whatever. And it's just like, what? why do you have to be the representation of this thing? And it's just, it's so frustrating. It's interesting that you say that. That's a good example to bring in. I know I've seen the memes about the Rick and Morty fan base. Yeah. And how they're, you know, the, the classic meme that I think of is the uh, guy at the baseball game with his arm wrapped around the pretty girl. Yeah. And whispering about pickle Rick, like into her ear. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And being like super explanatory. Like dude, pickle Rick's like funniest thing I've ever seen. Right. Um, I've I not watched much of Rick and Morty, but I I think you might be coming at this from the perspective of someone who you don't necessarily look for this fan base and sort of to immerse yourself in it. But for me, Rick and Morty is just Rick and Morty completely separate because I don't really Mm. interact with the fan base. Sure, I can understand being a you know streaming Undertale. It's kind of hard to avoid you know Undertale stands like jumping into the chat and coming at you. But if I were to play Undertale, my experience would be pretty much isolated from all that. Sure. So yeah. it's, it's probably a difference in like streaming games versus playing games. Of course. You know, yeah, it's that for sort sure. of thing. For sure. But I agree with you that, you know, really any experience can be ruined by like you go to a movie in the movie theater, which can't wait to get back to doing that. Oh, I'm so excited. And have someone just completely ruin your experience. Like if someone, if we had gone to Avengers Endgame, which is my favorite movie going experience of oh, all time. Oh, it was so good. We should and, tell that story at some point. Oh, sure. And to have, if someone would have been like talking smack during the movie and we would have been able to hear them, yeah. I might have tried to throw them over the little <laughs> banister. I would have gotten so frustrated. So I understand. <laughs> the opinions of Jay do not reflect the opinions of Double Tapped Incorporated. I wouldn't have actually done it. No, 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 I know. But, but I would have uh, felt like it, though. <laughs> I can just imagine you, like, white-clawing your... Or white-knuckling white your... White-clawing? Uh, well, I mean, I maybe. wish I could have got a white-claw uh, white-knuckling your, uh, your movie seat, just trying not to fight somebody. Definitely. 
and that's the that's the one movie where I'm like, you're not going to take this experience away from me. This is 24 movies, whatever, in the making. <laughs> yeah, I'm with like four of my best friends. Yeah, it was a it was a great time. It was. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Oh yeah, I lied. There was one more all capitalized Uh-oh. word. <laughs> he got you, everybody. I mean, let me make sure there's no more. Yeah, there's no more. But there's one more. Complete remakes should happen way more often. Mm. Now, I know Hmm. we were just saying earlier how The Last of Us remake (laughs) should probably not have been the choice that Sony made. Yeah. But I think that's a recency thing. You can play a very high-quality version of The Last of Us on the most modern console right now. Yes. But if Nintendo, per se... Mm. Or to say, hey, we're, we just tasked one of our other studios to completely remake Super Mario 64 from the ground up. Right. Ocarina of Time. Whatever. Here's my $60. Yeah. Take it. Yeah. Any of those old games I didn't have a chance to play. I was too young or whatever. I wasn't into it at the time. Even games that are like, you know, released later. Like if someone completely remade Bioshock, which came out in 2007 mm. and didn't change it kept the voice acting but remade the world updated the gameplay a little bit yeah here's my six here's my seventy dollars nowadays <laughs> mm-hmm. you know I think this sort of thing yeah it's a cash grab yeah it's unoriginal whatever sure but to me I mean movies get remade and up to 4k like pretty much all the time that's true I would love to play these games with the heart of the game retained, but in the highest fidelity, best quality version possible. So I, and I think that's kind of easy money that's just sitting out there that a lot of these studios aren't taking advantage of. Yeah, I think it's totally okay when it's, you know, and people say like, oh, it'd be really cool to see Blue Point do their own thing, and I agree. But if a studio is, if their whole purpose is doing this, right, is doing ground up remakes, then I think that's totally fine. I think the problem comes when. You ask a studio that doesn't want to do it to do it. Sure. Um, but, like, the Demon Souls remake, my criticisms of Demon Souls, the original, aside, was an incredible remake. Like, it looked beautiful, and it played well. And this is going back to, like, a larger topic of video game preservation, which mm-hmm. is a really a sort of an underground thing. But it is uh, there's a very fervent, like, group talk that talks about it a lot, where it's, like, you know, it's harder to play... You know, something from the N64 ever, but especially, like, something from... The, like, Mother 3. Right. Uh, that's one of the big ones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, like, the NES era, the SNES era. Some things are just literally hard to even get your hands on. And, like movies, if you want to fully take over the, the media world, which, obviously, video games make more money than movies or books or, or TV shows now. But if you want to really do that, you have to have people dedicated to preserving what was there before. Yeah. Um that's true. So I'm totally cool with a remake or with like I get excited when something's get get remade. I know there is this negative thing just like with movie remakes, but not movie upreses, which is where I think the difference sure, is. Sure. Um a movie remakes of like, oh, that's a cash grab, whatever. Like when they remade Point Break, that's always the one I think of. Because Point Break, really fun movie, did not need a remake and the remake was terrible and it's like yeah. why was why were you even making that? Um, but with games, it is more like taking a VHS, finding the actual film print, and turning it to 4K, right? Yeah. You're still experiencing the same thing, just in a more modern setting, a more modern way of doing it. So, not to just repeat what you're saying, but it is a, a very interesting thing to think of video game remakes as movie upreses, as mm-hmm. opposed to movie remakes with new cast and new director and new tone and all that kind of stuff. They're not 
as drastic a change. And so. I do think if there's one group of people that this opinion is not taking wholly into consideration, it's the developers. Because obviously, sure. if I'm a developer at a studio, I would probably rather be creative and make my own new thing than have my parent company come to me and say, please just make this again from the ground up. Yeah. But I think from a parent company corporate perspective and from a consumer perspective, it makes nothing but a ton of sense. Yeah. So. And I think, again, if you what if you're I think an interesting idea would be I know Sony is going directly against this but what if you start up a new studio every couple of years and your first game has to be a remake Mm, right just to test your metal yeah and it lets you get some experience under your belt like as a designer one of the first things we did in design school was design an X person's style and this sounds very similar to that to me where it's like you can learn the ropes of design and even I mean, I, I know that game design is a completely different world than graphic design, but, you know, learn some of the decisions, why these decisions are made or how they went about building this thing That's like, through that. replicating the style of something people already know and have an attachment to. So I think it would be interesting to just see if, you know, you're building a new studio, a studio like Xbox when they made the initiative of going like, hey, we know your experience, whatever, remake this game really quick and then we can move on to the next thing. That's a cool th- concept. Like say, a you know, Sony launches a new studio and says, yeah, and they're a studio and they come to Sony and they say, Hey, we want to make third person open world action games. And Sony's like, okay, remake infamous. And then we'll see if we're yeah, going to fund exactly. you anymore. Right. This might be a million dollar idea. <laughs> we might, we might be onto something. You know? Jay. You wanna uh, know what, hang on. You want a non sequitur? Sure. You know what's a, this is probably not a million dollar idea. Okay. This is a, at least a several thousand dollar idea that All I right. came up with the other day. Urinals are fundamentally flawed. <laughs> they really are. You're not wrong. Why is why is it a? I forget the. If you're looking at, it, I forget the difference between convex and concave. I think it's con. I want to be looking at the like top of a semicircle and then have it like bend outwards so that I can, you know, there's nothing splashing back on me. Yeah, so aggressively. why is it a curve back to you? It yeah. doesn't make any sense. Let's reinvent the urinal. I'm thinking uh, about it. <laughs> don't reinvent don't the wheel. Don't steal that idea from me. Don't reinvent the wheel, but reinvent the urinal. Um, how many have we done so that far? That was my know? fifth. Okay, so we have five more. Uh, every game should have an easy mode is my next hot topic. Hot take. <laughs> hot topic. It's my next hot topic. Uh, people are going to disagree with this, and that's okay. I think every I'm game... think about my opinion on this. Yeah. I, this was kind of a, 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 dis- a discussion that happened with Demon Souls, to weirdly come back to it. Because early on in development, there was an easy mode, and then they ended up scrapping it because they didn't think it was true to FromSoft's vision, I think was the actual like statement on it. Um, game accessibility is a big thing, and I'm coming at it from this perspective. I think if people can and want to play games, they should be able to. Uh, and I know, if, I know I know people in my community. I know people. I know streamers. I know there are like you know video game talking heads who have talked about this where. A lot of times there is difficulty. There are difficulty-based barriers for things that will stop a game from being accessible. Or like I know a lot of people who you know may have trouble with their hands, so they could only play a game up to a certain point, and then they can't get any further because of button mashing or whatever. Um, oh man! I personally think that adding easy modes to games does not detract from normal difficulty in any way. I have played a number of games that have had easy modes, some games even having like a narrative mode, which is just, you know, you experience the yeah. story and that's it. Uh, I've never once played that way. I always play on normal, 
I even if there's a super hard setting, unless there's a trophy, I'll go back and do that. I ever every time I first play a game, it's always on normal. Um, and so I think there are more people like that that see easy not as like I don't really care about it, but just as like no, I'd rather play on normal. I want to play you know how the developer intended whatever. But from a, just an accessibility standpoint, I think easy mode or narrative mode or whatever should always be a thing. Oh, I don't know. <clears throat> I thought you might disagree with this, but I, I... I'm having a tough time with it because the charm to me in the Souls game are the obvious examples here. The charm of that game... You don't care about the story. No. You're not there for... You know, Sekiro's a little different. Bloodborne may be easy, even a little bit different where you know can get immersed in the world and just explore and uncover yeah. what happened in Yarnum or whatever. Um, but... To say that, you know, giving a game like Dark Souls 1 in easy mode yeah. sort of takes away the, you're right, I mean, you're right and you're not, yeah, I kind of, I'm, I'm wishy-washy, this is hard. <laughs> yeah, it is a hard discussion. Because I love the, it's the thrill, it's the high that you're chasing of beating these bosses. And sure. that is completely, unless it's like a, you know, a semi-easy mode where it's like challenging but not supremely so. Yeah. I don't know. What I was thinking of when you brought up the example of like, unless there's a trophy associated with it that you'll dip mm. down, that made me think of God of War because I, I probably would have gotten the God of War Platinum anyway mm-hmm. through a little more trial and error. But I did fight uh, Sigrun, Queen of the Valkyries, yeah. on the easiest mode there was available. Mm. And it was still kind of hard. Yeah. Um, but that was the easiest route to the Platinum and I took it. Sure. Which I'm, I don't begrudge anyone for doing that, obviously, because I did it myself. Oh. But I don't if, think a game designed with the p- semi-primary intent of being challenging should necessarily incorporate an easy mode. Because if you're a person who is simply looking for the experience of this game without the challenge, watch or read something about... like You can watch a full playthrough of any game pretty much without commentary if you really are that interested in like the story. Yeah, but... I mean, I think it's different to play the game than to watch it. It is. And it is. That's why I'm torn on this. I think with something like a Souls game, it doesn't necessarily have to be just, you know, God mode where you don't take any damage yeah. or anything. What if it's just you have unlimited blood blood vials, mm. right? What if it's something like that where or your uh, your um, uh, torch or your whatever that you're spawning from? What if that is just right at the boss door? And you can just throw yourself at it a bunch. There are things that you in each game, and I know Souls games are the ones that always get brought up because they're like you said, their primary directive is being challenging. Yeah. You could make them easier in ways without losing that chase of the boss or whatever. That's fair. Because I had the boss does less damage or my, whatever. Yeah. My initial reaction was to say, okay, you walk in, you're encountering an enemy in one of those games, and all of a sudden the AI is just a lot dumber than it would have been. Right. But maybe you know, the incorporation of like unlimited healing or, you know, more checkpoints and that sort of thing. Yeah. That's a good workaround to where you're maintaining the integrity of the design of like a boss. Like, right. I would hate to fight Father Gaskill like the most one of my maybe my favorite Bloodborne boss, mm. and have him not be the full experience. But would I have minded that much if the lantern to get to him was literally right outside the boss door? No, no, that doesn't it, make the fight any less no. cool. So that's a, that's a good workaround. Mm, thank you, you know, incorporating it better than you know dumbing the game, the AI of the game down. Yeah. more so. Can I have another beer? Sure. Speaking of Souls games. Yeah, thank you. This is an opinion you're not going to be able to weigh in on as much. Okay. 
because you haven't gotten around to some of these games. All right. But here's what I'm going to say. Of the Souls-specific games, Mm -hmm. so that does not include Bloodborne, that does not include Sekiro. That is Demon Souls and all the Dark Dark Souls Souls games. Dark Souls 3 is the best. Mm. And here's why. Okay. You really made me see the light about Demon Souls the other day. When Mm. we were discussing Demon Souls and talking about how the path to the bosses is the tough part of Demon Souls. The bosses can be kind of gimmicky or kind of the easier part of the game. Yeah. That is a good summation of the totality of Demon Souls. Mm. Let's move on to Dark Souls. Dark Souls is an incredibly well-designed game, but it is a little more antiquated. Obviously, it's supremely interconnected. I can't. I'm excited for you to eventually try it. Yeah, that's probably my next game to play. But there are enemies and areas in there that are just less inspired to me than later games. Dark Souls Two sucks. Doesn't suck, but yeah. If you're talking about supremely uninspired, that is pretty much Dark Souls Two in a nutshell. Mm. Less interconnected, more linear paths. You know clunkier gameplay healing mechanics that are different yeah the Estus Flask that you use in like other Souls like Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 3 there's that but there's also these things called life gems where an Estus Flask you take and it heals that much amount like immediately or whatever yeah you take a life gem and it slowly heals you for a while Hmm. and life gems are much more common in Dark Souls 2 and it it becomes managing two like healing things and it just gets convoluted yeah Uh, but the there's way too many bosses that are irrelevant, that sort of thing. Dark Souls 3 incorporates a little bit of the quickness of a game like Bloodborne. Yeah, because it's made after Bloodborne. And the boss quality in Dark Souls 3 is really, really good. Mm -hmm. Some of the best bosses, um, several of the best bosses in the entire FromSoft line of games are in that game. Mm. The Abyss Watchers, the Lord of Cinder. If you know anything about the Lord of Cinder, that's yeah. Uh, honestly, you don't. If you don't, this is not a spoiler. No names of <laughs> um, Souls bosses. I contend are never spoilers. There are so many greats. The uh, boss fights that I equate to be like mono and mono swordsman versus swordsman. You know the ones yeah. that are you're fighting a version of yourself that feel the most like a duel. There's a ton of those in that game. The twin princes fight is great. Oh yeah, the, uh, the dancer fight is amazing. The uh, uh, pontiff fight is fucking wild really I, I love i love Pontus. i hate that oh man i love that he, fight i think that he awesome. destroys me every time i get back to that so good um yeah i just think that the world design oh that first the moment when you get to irithyll you come out of that cave and there's irithyll the borgo valley like mm-hmm. you go from a dark dank cave with thousands of skeletons yeah including the one giant skeleton that is the boss and you come out and it's this weird like ethereal icy city yeah, that place is wild it's so cool. Um, I just think the design of that game is superior, not just because it's newer, but because they focus on the bosses and because they f- were allowing themselves to bring over some of their ideas from Bloodborne into that game in terms yeah. of combat. So you can, it's a toss up to me between three and one. Okay. But I give the nod to three. See, I having played now, because I played Bloodborne and then immediately played Dark Souls 3. And at the time, I think was harder on it than I am now. Yeah. Because a lot of it has grown on me having played Demon Souls and having played Sekiro. Um, there are a lot more really notable boss fights. To me personally, that is the appeal of these games. Definitely. It's just the boss designs. Um, the, the landscapes are great. The areas are really cool. 
but I don't think it's I don't think that any of these are going to top Bloodborne as far as like feeling goes with no. areas. So yeah, for me it was it was all about the boss fights, and there are a lot of memorable. It's rare for me to remember names of bosses, and I remember <laughs> a lot from Dark Souls Three. Yeah. So, um, speaking of, you said that that's the best one, not just because it's the newest one. My hot take. Oh, what could it be? The best era for games is right now, and it always will be. Oh. I think that uh, you could say this for a lot of things, but, you know, with movies, a lot of people are like, oh, the 90s or, oh, the 2010s or whatever. Um, With music, it kind of depends on each person. Video games are a different breed where technology really allows things to happen in video games, unlike any other medium. And yes, there are great games from the past, obviously. But if you look, talking about review scores earlier, if you look at the average game that comes out now, we know so much about how to make a good video game in 2021 compared to even like 2011 that most games are like an eight, right? Like most big most budget big, games yeah, yeah, yeah. are about an eight. Now, granted, you have a Balan Wonderland, Wonderland yeah, every now and lordy. then. You have those now games. Now that's out. Have you seen some stuff from that now that's out? Yeah. It's awesome. It's and really, it's terribleness. really good. Um, but those games are very rare now. Uh, and I think that not only do the AAA developers know a lot more you know, I guess there are more like focus groups and things like that, but also just games have been a thing for so long now that people have so much experience about what makes a good game that they can focus toward that. I'm not saying bad games don't get made. I just think your big studio, big budget games have a level of quality they've never had before. And I'm not just saying the PS5 era because that's so new. I just mean, you know, the last five years or whatever. And I think it has always been that way and it will always continue to be that way with video games until we maybe reach a technology point that it's minimal progression system to system. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Um, I just think it's interesting that we both love nostalgia. We both love remakes. We both love all that kind of stuff. But I think the best video games that are being made are always going to be the ones that are being made at the time. Yeah. Um, so that's just my personal. I think point. there's validity to that, you know, and until we're, we, until we reach the black mirror, we're plugging ourselves into an AI simulation <laughs> right. thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because at that point, everything's going to run together or whatever, whatever the real world version sure. of that ends up being. Yeah. But yeah, I'm always going to want to play the latest, crispest. I mean, there's no denying. Like, I think the Uncharted series is a great example of progression of mm. smoothness of gameplay. Yeah. You go from one to two to three to four. Four is just light years ahead of one. Yes. And you can quibble about the story. You can quibble about certain design choices. But the quality of the build of the game is yeah. decidedly better. Oh, yeah. So undeniably so. So I agree. Sweet. Mostly, I think. Yeah. Some games should be much more expensive. Hmm. That's a hot take. Let me hit you with this. That might be the hottest take today. Oh, mine. I think mine. I like my later one. Mine get better. You're progressively getting Or at least up? more weird. Okay. Red Dead Redemption 2 is the game that I thought about in this context. Okay. Red Dead Redemption 2... If you compare it to the value of like your average, at the time it was a sixty dollar game. Sure, that game's probably worth like two hundred and forty dollars. <laughs> now I'm not saying that's what they should charge for it, right? But should that game cost at least a hundred dollars? I think absolutely it should. Oh, marketers and, and uh, game devs, if they listen to this, which they don't, but <laughs> their their eyes are just the cartoon money sign every twenties. Like product has varying degrees of quality and obviously there are games out there that are smaller 
that cost less. Sure. I get that. But to compare the likes of a Red Dead 2, and I know I talked, I sung the praises of, you know, your annualized sports franchises earlier. Yeah. Red Dead Redemption 2 should cost twice as much as Madden. Madden. Yeah. You know? Yeah. In terms of development time, development quality, I would, per- I mean, we're in a pretty good position financially, both of us, that we can afford yeah, the games that we want. Yeah, it's a very privileged take in a way. But a game like that deserves to be rewarded financially with, you know, whatever the equitable value of it should be. And for a game like Red Dead, for most Rockstar games that are just giant playgrounds where you can do so much. Yeah. Well, that's and that's the interesting thing. A game like The Last of Us or The Last of Us 2 is beloved to us and is sure. of incredibly high quality. Yeah. But I think is less design intensive than the likes of a Red Dead 2 just based on scope and size. Longevity. They, exactly. And, yeah. So a particular, it's only particular games, games that really offer you hundreds, roughly, hours of gameplay time. Sure. You should pay more money for those, and I would be willing to. Is that not... To push back a little bit. Okay. Uh, do you think this should apply to other, other things? Should a Marvel movie cost more to go see than a A24 film or a Bloomhouse film or something? I think if Marvel... Let's say the box office cost for like a Marvel movie was... 1.5 well because well it's different because they're selling on volume you know the tickets cost the same but they're saying okay if we're marvel we're banking on being able to sell a hundred million tickets versus an art house movie that's only going to sell like a million right but because the ticket prices are the same but the budgets are different sure they're going to make their money back in different ways sure and i guess it is a different thing because it's you're looking at this from a perspective of hours spent equals money yeah, that's, paid. That is my thing. best way to, you know, describe it. Yeah. And movies are movies, but obviously certain I mean I mean in game and Infinity War we've referenced already, but it costs like a combined like four hundred million to make those. Yeah. Would you have paid fifty dollars to go see Endgame? Yes. I would have too. And that's, that's weird. That's a good example. It's weird and I don't like that I said it. I don't like that that's how I feel about it. But But and I will say it's to have that particular experience. Sure. Of going in the theater, you know, bells and whistles and everything. Could this not apply in the reverse direction though? Could you say okay, yes, your Red Dead 2, you know, your big open world games, those are your $70 games. And then other games scaled down from there. I think that that argument could be made, but mm-hmm. I would prefer more like I think the neutral-ish price price for a game should be in the forty to fifty dollar region. Okay. Whereas the northern price should be about a hundred. Interesting. And a game like how much did Shovel Knight cost when it first released? Twenty. Like, see, that's reasonable. Yeah. And I think you could argue that Shovel Knight could cost more. And to be fair. They have upped the price on yeah. it as they as they've added content. I think now it's like a thirty dollars game. Yeah, I think as long as the developer, whether it's a movie, whether it's a video game, can sell you on the value proposition, whether it's you know saying that you know if you're shovel playing Shovel Knight and that includes like the Specter Knight expansion, whatever, which mm-hmm. I know the version of mine did. Yeah, and like, they all retroactively include those things yeah. so those are all free dlc but when you buy the game to like this is worth price. more than the initial release and yeah i don't i would not begrudge any of these companies for asking more but i also wouldn't begrudge any consumer for saying what the hell thanks but no thanks yeah you know okay uh, another question is this not what dlc and season passes and things like that are for because you and i've talked about this with rocket league and stuff where it's like 
I am willing to buy the Rocket League season pass every season. Yeah. Because I love that game and I want to support those developers and things like that. Now, granted, I know some people don't think like that. Um, and obviously, Rocket League or Psionics is owned by Epic now. They're fine financially, but for a while they weren't, and they were their self. You know, they were their own studio. Yeah, um, they were self-published. Is that not what GTA, like you know, the brand new car that you can buy or spending money on, whatever their currency is called, uh, shark cards, I think is what they're called. Like, is that what is that not what that's for? That's absolutely part of like for a game of that ilk. Yeah, like your GTAs, whatever. That behooves itself to be, you know, good behooves. for D- DLC. One hundred percent. Like you could, you should charge less and include more DLC if you think that that's what's going to make you the most, whatever. Or you think people are going to buy it. Mm. And you know, people out there, speak with your wallets. If you want games to have DLC, buy DLC. If you don't, don't. Don't like, buy it. Yeah. And that's why I think Red Dead is the best example because that's not a game that mm. you're paying twenty dollars for, like a season pass or whatever. You're paying sixty dollars. For like two hundred hours worth of single player. of game, yeah, that's and and online, you sure. Know? But that online is that's kind of a it's a better comparison point because the online of Red Dead is not nearly as fervent as the online of GTA sure. is. But for all the cum- cumulative hours you could spend in that game, it is worth more than seventy or well sixty dollars at the time of release. Mm. And I would not be angry. If one of these developers one of these days decides to break the mold and yeah. just see how it pans out, I don't I know would, if it will pan out for them I well the first time. I would love to watch it. There I would love to, be, to see there what need, happens. There would need to be like a coalition of like a few developers. Like, okay, we're all going to release our games around the same time. Yeah, that are all relatively big games, and we're going to cost or we're going to charge like twenty dollars extra. Yeah, and just see how people. I mean, react. the seventy dollar thing kind of did that, but yeah. not in the same way. Yeah. Um, how many more do we have? Do you know what three. this is? We have three more. Yes. Okay. So my eighth is Xbox has the best controller and it's not even close. Not even close. No. Uh, for my money, I love the DualSense. I, it's a great controller and I there are some things about it that are better than any other controller. But would I still rather play a PS5 game with the Xbox controller layout? Yes. Ugh. I love... The comfort of the sticks being uh, offset is unparalleled to me. I, I mean, we have here. If you want to, if you want to play with it yeah, really. for the video version, I'm handing Jay an Xbox controller. Uh, I have two of them, both for PC. Uh, this just stick layout is just so much more comfortable and ergonomic, and just feels better to me than any other game. Now, granted, I know this is a hand size thing. Apparently, like I've heard that a lot of people who have smaller hands prefer. PlayStation controllers, and if you have larger hands, Xbox controllers tend to be the way you lay. Interesting. Um, I think just because of the size of the grips and stuff, but like comparing this to a DualSense, which I think is the best PlayStation controller. I mean, I mean um, you get a direct feel. I prefer the offset stick. Um, I like everything else is pretty negligible to me, but just if they if dual if the DualSense had come out and they had said you can swap the D pad and the and the stick, I would have been like, this is the best controller ever made. <laughs> But just that that side by side stick thing again. It's not something I hate. I love the Dual Sense, but I think the Xbox controller is far and away the best controller, and I just love the way it feels so much. I will say that I do think the best feeling controller, in my opinion, that I have ever felt is the Xbox 360 controller. Yeah, a lot of people like it more than the one. There's, which there's I think some, they're pretty negative. There's a sharpness to the angles of the one that doesn't feel as good to me as the 360 mm. one. That's just such a smooth and the triggers. I definitively like the triggers on the uh, 360 controller are like huge. Mm. And I really love that huge, like soft 
lot lots of area to push down on them. Yeah. Um, I definitely love Xbox triggers more than PlayStation. I can be honest about that one. Yeah. Oh, totally. I think the off. I've just adjusted now to the PlayStation. You know, as of I level sticks. Sure. Yeah. Um. So to me, at this point, the sticks are kind of neg- negligible, but. I might give the overall slight edge to Xbox, specifically yeah. 360. I really do think that the ergonomic of ergonomics of the grips has gotten a little bit worse on Xbox, but mm, that's, that's still a very good controller. Yeah, I love it. I love using it for PC games. Yeah. Tanner, this might be my favorite take on the list. Okay, uh-oh. The best portable game system of all time okay. is the Game Boy... Advance SP <laughs> AGS 101. What's the difference between the other SP models? The SP AGS 101 is the backlit one. So, oh, okay, there was a version that was wasn't backlit? The, yeah, the model oh, okay. number changed from the original SP to the AGS 101, where one was backlit and then the older one was not right okay Here but there's they the are one side that, by the side. name one is the light blue one is the one that i had yeah the like that's silvery the one right, blue. Yeah, that we're looking at right now because there's the silver Pearl that my, blue was the exact that's the this. exact one i had and my, here's my justification for this at the time <laughs> this could this was backwards compatible with everything going back to the with original game, game boy. boy yeah so the, the library of games is absolutely bananas yeah this was in the prime era of Pokemon. These are the few of the, you know, the Emerald games and the Fire Red Leaf Green. You, you don't get better Pokemon games than no. those. Game Boy Advance was lit. And then the size of this thing. This thing is tiny. Yeah, it was like it was literally a pocket console. It is a D-pad, two buttons and two uh triggers. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you move on to, like and I love the Switch. I loved I love the DSs and the 3DS. I love the Vita. And you, yeah, the Vita is, you know, for reasonable people to disagree about. <laughs> but that's their tagline. That was what they said. To me, on. if you're looking for a portable console with quality games, it does not get better. Bang for your buck. Do you know how much this thing costs when it comes out? I'm going to guess $149. 99 It's $100. Wow. Wow. That blew my mind. Which, granted, infl- inflation. Though. Absolutely. When did that come out? Like 2000 ish? <sighs> It's probably no. It was later than that. The advance was probably around two thousand, but the okay. SP was probably like two thousand three or two thousand two. If I had to guess, let's check into this here. Let's let's look up the Game Boy SP. Thirteen hundred dollars on eBay. Whoa, you're not wow. alone. I uh, wish I still had mine. Thirteen hundred. Surely that can't be right. Uh, two thousand three. You nailed okay. it. Uh, let's see inflation calculator. Here. <laughs> I just want to see how much it would cost now. Yeah. And I'll tell a story. I remember playing uh, Pokemon like Wired Battles against my cousin, and he had the original SP that was not backlit, and I had the SP AGS Dash One Hundred One. You love that. I did not know it was called that at the time, but and now I knew, you love it. I knew there was a difference. That's why I had to figure it out. Mm. And it was so nice to be able to be. It was like in the middle of the night, and we were like laying in bed, like across from each other. Yeah, you know, one on the, each side, and he had to have the little attachment lights. Yep. I had that, but for I was my, like, no, nah, uh, I can just turn my light like on and off. I had that for my Game Boy Color. Was the Game Boy Advance not backlit, or was it? No, I don't think it was. Oh, it had wow. the same little attachment, a little like book light. Yeah, the SB dash one AGS dash one hundred one is the first one that I don't was. Know backlit. Why I remembered the Advance as being backlit? I guess it wasn't. Uh, it would cost roughly one hundred and forty dollars now. Um, so still. Still not bad. Great buy. 
and a, like I said, for the catalog of games that you get on that, all the old Mario's there were ports. To yes, that. there were. Yeah, you could play all of the. I mean, even if there wasn't a port, you could play an original Game Boy game on that. The Wario games that it's people just, love, the Pokemon games, the bang for your buck on this thing, and the legit portability. Like you could actually stick this thing in your pocket, and unlike it be pretty much every portable yeah. console that would come later. As someone who occasionally would throw a Vita in my hoodie pocket. Like, portable is a very broad word now. Yeah. And it just means you can take it to other places and play it there. It's not necessarily that you can keep it on you. Yeah. And the SP, like, you could, like, the size of my iPhone is probably about the size if you flipped one of those open. It's that's about true. that size. Yeah. I haven't even thought about that. You know? Yeah. I don't know that I agree that that's the best cons- best portable yeah. console and ever. And that's but one of those ones that I'm like, this is my take. Sure. But, but I understand the reasoning for it. The backlit thing is huge. Yeah. Uh, okay, we have two more. Yep. Oh, geez, I don't know. There's so many that I have. I, it seems like I. It seemed like I was cutting it close, and then now there's a bunch. Uh. Okay, this is this is a hot take. Oh, give it to me. It's a hot one. PlayStation is poised to be passed up next generation. Mm. I don't know if it's this generation because they have such a lead uh, with their developers, with their studios, with their exclusives. But Xbox is doing some shit. Oh, I thought you were talking about Stadia. <laughs> I had to even remember what Stadia was yeah, for a second. Still. What you saw was not me processing what you said, but like Stadia. Oh, the Google thing. Like Error dash 104. I don't know. 404. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, 404. I don't know much about computers. Uh, so I am impressed. And it's funny that it talk, we talked about more stuff like this today. I'm just so impressed with what Xbox has done, and Phil Spencer, I think, deserves more credit than he gets in a weird way. Um, He's certainly the best figurehead of games right now. Yes, agreed. And not only does Xbox have their services in line, you know, the rumor is that PlayStation is going to try a Game Pass competitor at some point, um, but Game Pass is such a good value. We've talked about that a lot on the show already. Uh, But not only just Game Pass with the acquisition of Bethesda, with uh, opening up new exclusive studios and obviously looking to buy more or partner with more like the Kojima thing. Uh, another huge thing that I'm uh, going to talk about again, the accessibility. Xbox is way ahead of PlayStation when it comes to accessibility. Mm-hmm. Like With the Xbox Adaptive Controller, that is one of the smartest accessibility things. I wish PlayStation would do it. Uh, if you don't know, this is just a bunch of... They, they talk about it every now and then, but they have basically a modular controller uh, with like some large buttons, a huge D-pad, uh, just a, a ton of different... I don't even know all the ways that you can control with it, but basically you can program any Xbox game to play with this controller, and they are meant for people with disabilities or people who may have trouble pressing very small things, fine motor skills, I think is what it's called. Um, so it's fantastic. I That's a space I'm more and more uh, involved in or just mm. like read about a lot more lately, um, and, and something I try to keep my eye on, but especially like having community members who are like, yeah, I... <clears throat> can't use my right hand very well or whatever mm. and talking about that with them it makes me appreciate accessibility more xbox is doing way more on that definitely front. um you know they partner with able gamers a lot the interesting note there would be that on xbox it seems to be more of like an xbox initiative whereas on the playstation side it's more of like a studio by studio thing yes whereas last of us 2 is a notoriously incredibly yeah the, you know progressive games in terms of accessibility right in the software side but i think more yes. in the hardware side xbox definitely. is definitely leading it you're, you're right um yeah naughty dog Got a lot of, I don't know if people remember this, but Naughty Dog got a lot of flack for the lack of accessibility, I think, on Uncharted 4 Mm. or Last of Us 1 and the next game or an update for Uncharted 4. I can't remember which, but they came out with like a laundry list of of stuff. And I'm not saying that to disparage how much it is, just a lot of stuff. And then, yeah, Last of Us 2 
did it win the game award for accessibility this year? I think it did. I don't know if it did or not, but it was nominated. Yeah, and like that was cool because it made you go through the accessibility options before you could even play the yeah. game. Like it was a mandatory thing for you to read through, which I think is awesome and should be standard as well. Um, I just think Xbox is making a lot of really smart moves. Who knows if, and I say this as a huge PlayStation guy, like I, it would take a lot to buck me from the PlayStation ecosystem, but I just think Xbox is doing a lot of smart stuff. And I think that PlayStation is doing some weirdly frustrating things at the same time. You're right. And it's all a question of whether PlayStation caves eventually Mm. to the, you know, the game pass model to the multimedia model, whether they want to put, you know, whether they launch a competitor and, you know, the, the people have been talking for a while now about the possibility of a Game Pass app on, like, smart TVs. Yes. You know? Yeah. Let's say PlayStation somehow jumps that hoop before them, sure. which I don't see as likely. That's clearly not no. what they're but broadcasting. But, I mean, they do manufacture TVs. <clears throat> but, yeah, it's possible that they could go that route before Xbox. And if they decide to do that, great. It becomes, you know, a legit war again. But, absolutely, Xbox's strategy, I think, is more future-proofed right now than Agreed. Sony's. That's a good way of saying it, yeah. All right. Two more. Yeah. Taking their eras into consideration. Okay. GameCube greater than Switch. Mmm. People love the Switch. They do. I do, too. It's a great console. However, and I looked it up just then, the GameCube cost $200 when it released. Okay. You still can't get a Switch for less than 300 Sure. You know, yeah. four years after release. Yeah. And it's understandable. There's a lot of value baked into that console. The portability argument, though, that we just brought up is, again, kind of a de- debatable yeah. thing. If you, you need can, a case for it to be portable. Yes. But, and I lump those, I put these two back to back for a good reason. Mm-hmm. Given the fact that for $300, you could buy a GameCube... And you could buy a Game Boy Advance SP AGS-101. <laughs> Not adjusting for inflation. The value of that combination alongside the amazing GameCube controller, mm-hmm. one of the one of the most lauded controllers of all time. Yeah, like that controller. Compared to the fact that you have to pay an additional $60 for the Switch to get a controller that's worth anything because the Joy-Cons <laughs> kind of suck. Yeah, to even get a controller. And the fact that the Switch incorporates, you know, motion controls that are, you know, not my cup of tea. Yeah. You know, it's not my thing. I just think that the library of games, too, all things together, I think the GameCube was just a better box altogether than the Switch. Yeah, I agree. Especially when you buy the Game or Game Boy alongside it. And if you bought the thing that you could attach to the, the connection, bo- exactly, yeah, that was, where that you was could sick. play Game Boy games on, on your, your GameCube. Game that was awesome. Um, which is funny because you can do that with the Switch now, but uh, like go from portable to, to mm. console. But I actually put as one of my things that I scrapped the Switch is a bit overrated, mm. um, simply because the GameCube was the last time we saw a real effort from Nintendo to stay with AAA developers, right? This was pre Wii yeah, you're and right. pre their their call. sort of their their sort of bifurcation from yeah. uh you know staying at the the height of tech. And you know, credit to Nintendo, they pull great shit out of the tech they use. But could you imagine if Nintendo was still making a box that could compete with a PS5 and an Xbox? How many more games would you buy on Nintendo? Because <laughs> Like, granted, the portability thing's great. The Switch is a completely different market, and that's totally cool. The Switch is awesome. Yeah. But 
if the if next Nintendo box, whatever it's called, if it had a trophy system, which it desperately needs, I will argue that until I die. Uh, and if it could play like, you know, your big AAA games, like, could you imagine playing Destiny Two on a Nintendo console, like with a really good controller? Yeah. Like, I just, I I understand that they just want to be a different thing, and probably part of their success is differentiating because so many people now own a PlayStation and a Switch or an Xbox and a Switch that, or yeah, a PC absolutely. and a Switch. I totally get that. And that makes a lot of sense. But I think the GameCube did a little bit of best of both worlds action and could get the exclusives. Even if it didn't look as good as the PS2, I'm sure it was pretty negligible to where we're using a lot. Um, I agree with you. I think the GameCube is the best Nintendo console ever. Um, well, SNES, I might like more, but uh, it's so weird. They all have their pros and cons. They have their merits, yeah. The SNES obviously was just a trailblazer of, you know, quality of play in games. I think... Go ahead, sorry. The GameCube peak of, you know, their, you know, technology. The Wii being revolutionary in terms of the types of games they were sure. releasing and the motion controls. And then the Switch being, like, the hybridized portable set. But Yeah. I will say, of the Nintendo consoles that I remember, like, growing up with... We had an SNES when I was a really little kid, but, like... I appreciate the SNES more now yeah. than I did as a kid. Um, and I think I like the SNES game library a little bit more, but GameCube just was such a thing. Even though I didn't own one, my uncle had one, and every time I went over to my grandparents, I was just like, let me play the GameCube. Yeah. And in terms of the old definition of portable, it's maybe the most portable console. It literally had a handle. Yeah, Sans Switch ever released. Yeah. So. so easy to fit a cube into your backpack. Definitely. <laughs> That's a weird sentence. Um, all right, two more, yeah? I have one more. You have oh, one two more. That was my nine. So your nine is now. Gotcha. Okay, thank you. There we go. Um, I'm doing a lot of shitting on Nintendo. I'm gonna keep going. Animal Crossing as a whole is overrated. Boom. Uh, I <laughs> never played them. Don't know. You give them. You give them hell, Tanner. I played New Horizons. Uh, that's what the new one's called. Yeah. Yes. I knew it's A C and H. Um, I played New New Horizons for like three months. It was fine. I don't get it. I, I like... I I got it then. Like, I enjoyed the game. I'm not shitting on my experience with New Horizons. And it was fun as, like, a stream thing. I don't get the lifers for Animal Crossing. Yeah. I, it's just not my type of game um, to play. Like, I have not had... It's fun with other people. It's baffling for me to, to imagine a time before you could go to other people's islands. Like, I don't understand what the appeal of that would have been. <laughs> Because um, it is fun to go see how people have customized yeah. islands and stuff. But, like, I think, granted, they're slightly different, but I much prefer, like, a Stardew to an Animal mm. Crossing because at least you're doing things in that. Animal Crossing has this weird vibe of, like, I don't feel like I'm actually doing anything. Like, okay, I'm changing out my villagers. Great. I and, and granted, I say this as someone who has, like, little villager stickers of the villagers I liked on my bottle, on my water bottle. It's a cute game. It's really cute. But when people list it as, like, the fourth major tentpole of Nintendo, I don't get it. Um, I just think Animal Crossing as a series, this is probably the most appealing one to me because there is there are like, oh, you can fill out your bug catalog yeah. and you know all that kind of stuff. But I just, I don't know. As someone who was in that ecosystem for a while, for like three months, or probably for a month really, and then just completely fell out of it, I have not had the itch to pick it back up at all. Uh, and it's also weird that that game, like, guilts you for not playing it. Do you know about this? I hate games like that, but... So, like, there's this character, especially in the older games, called Rossetti, I think, that would, like, hound you for not 
a lot of the characters be like, oh, it's been a long time since I've seen you. But then, like, weeds pop up if you don't play, so you oh. have to come back and clean your weeds. And it's like, I don't want to pick it back up and just be yeah, de-weeding you're de-incentivizing things. Yeah, to do that. weird. Yeah, that's... A, I've never touched any of them. Mainly because that's... I. There's no compelling entertainment for me in those kind of games. Yeah. Um, that being said, like... Minecraft is my closest analog, probably. Sure. Where you can jump from people's like worlds and you'll see their builds and whatever, but you're still playing a survival game fundamentally. Right. Yeah. Whereas in a game like that, you're just kind of meandering your own little area. Now, credit where credit is due, that might have been the perfect COVID game. Sure. You know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like For the sure. escapist nature yeah. of having your own little island, I totally understand. Yeah. Funny that it coincided with the release of Doom Eternal, like the opposite kind of like. <laughs> and how they cross marketed it game. was really yeah. fun. Um, again, like I, I had fun with Animal Crossing. I don't want to make it seem like they're not fun. But, and I love that some people, for some people, that's like the ultimate relaxation game and they like, you know, can legitimately ease their anxiety by playing Animal Crossing. That's amazing. For me personally, I just think the series does not hold a candle to even like I am more interested in Splatoon, a game I've never played, mm. than playing another Animal Crossing game. Like hey. I, I, hey. I don't know. It's just not my not my thing. All right, my last one, probably the I don't know if it's the hottest one, but it's the one that I came in feeling was the most hot. Okay, and this applies to you. It applies to anyone watching. Oh shit! Call of Duty is objectively better than most of the games that you like. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Because, Take the floor. Yeah. And this is, you know, I say objectively, borderline nothing is objective in video game criticism. But if you play Call of Duty, there is pretty much no competition in terms of smooth quality shooter game mechanics. Yeah. Every year. This is kind of, this goes back to the, and now there are <laughs> three. You're grabbing the mic. I'm, I feel this. <laughs> Like, Call of Duty is another... You were touching on the, you know, the uh, sports gamers. Mm-hmm. Call of Duty, every year, has a the most fervent following in video games pretty much yeah, super every dedicated. single year. Fortnite's yeah. the only thing that competes with it now. It didn't, sure. obviously, before it existed. Right. But the quality of gameplay, occasionally the quality of story, but even though there are multiplayers that I like more than others, mm-hmm. the consistent quality of create a class, multiplayer, map design, like, all of these things... And it's three different studios. It was more impressive when it was just Infinity War and Treyarch, but now they sure. added Sledgehammer. But still, ba, ba. fantastic song. I love Sledgehammer. The fact that they can put out a game of this caliber every year that I have not found a shooter that adequately scratches the quality of the smoothness, the feel, the number of guns, the customizability of these games. It just... It's on another level, and it's a machine at this point, and they just continue to yeah. push them out. And even though there are dips and there are highs, overall, I would still rather play a Call of Duty Ghosts than your average other game that is released. Oh, I don't know that I could go that far, but I, yeah, no, I think I it, I went through a weird thing with Call of Duty, which is like, I didn't play them early on. Um, I was a Halo kid, and then played, my first Call of Duty was Black Ops, I talked about this a yeah. lot. Uh, and then we met kind of not we didn't meet through it but we started hanging out cause a lot more through Call of Duty yeah we had a Call Black of Duty Black Ops group. 2 yep oh what a game in high school and then just continued to play it for a while and then I would say like toward the later part of college earlier part of like my like post college years it's like Call of Duty was fine but it wasn't something I was like fervent for yeah but then now uh, most recently with um, Modern Warfare 
that was the one before this last yes. one, right? Um, with Modern Warfare, Call of Duty's fucking awesome. Yeah, and it's like if you have that itch, not a lot scratches it better than Call of Duty. No, um, I played so much Warzone uh, a couple years ago. I played so much two v twos, which is, which is one of the best yeah. like developments in Call of Duty. Um, yeah, no, I, I I think we get so comfortable with annualized franchises that it's easy to like shit on them. Mm. But sometimes they're they're annualized because they appeal to a mass market, and sometimes it's okay to be the mass market. Yeah. Like, we don't have to be snooty about everything. And I, this is the first year off I've taken from Call of Duty since 2000, whenever. I played World at War first and played Modern Warfare after that, so I think technically it's the first year off since 2011 for Jeez. me. I've played everyone since then. Um, but still part of me, the other day, I was like, you know, when I sort of got, I was like, well, I'm not really playing anything interesting. I was like... I could buy Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's always a good and, time. I, mean, I w- could probably spend 30 hours in that, no questions asked, and still have a good time. Yeah. At least playing through the story once and 30-ish levels of multiplayer just to get a feel for it. But yeah, there's just there's nothing like that experience and it, the output, the consistency. Like what you like, but most people usually are right. It's not always. <laughs> You know, majority rule is not always great. No. But usually, in this case, yes. <laughs> Call of Duty better than most other games. Okay. My last one. It's pretty hot. I thought of it while we were talking. Ooh. Um, my only other one that I, I haven't really di- uh, dove into, and this is not the actual take, uh, is that backseating is actually worse than spoiling, um, which is another Twitch-specific thing. Do you, are you familiar with backseating at all? I mean, when you say that, I'm assuming I picture that as just literally sitting beside someone who's playing a game and sort of telling them you should do this, you should do yes, that. Yes, so that's what backseating refers to. But some people on Twitch are very aggressive in backseating. I can see and that. Like, Go left. Oh, don't kill that guy. Kill this guy. Oh, pick up that item. You should use that. And it's like that's actually more annoying than just being like, oh, so and so character dies. It's like, yeah. Just stop. Um, but that that is not my final hot take. My final hot take is. The Witcher 3 is the most overrated game of the last decade. It was bound to happen. Yep. Uh, I didn't even think about it, but you're right. It's not... I'm not saying that because it's a bad game. I put it on my games of the decade list. It is one of the best 100 games of the last decade, I think. But... Yeah. It is not the game everyone thinks it is. Uh, The combat, I will contend, is not fun. It's just not fun combat. The whole sigils thing... The sword play isn't fun. It's like from a weird camera angle where you're further away than you should be. Uh, it just doesn't feel fun to kill the big bosses of that game, which should be fun. Mm-hmm. I legitimately, this is maybe even a hotter take, I think the best part of, the most enjoyable part of The Witcher is Gwent. I legitimately think that. I think that game is actually fun. And like, yeah, the Triss and Yen thing's fun. You know, Siri is a cool character. There are cool characters. The story isn't, the greatest thing I've ever experienced. I don't know why this, the game sort of has a reputation of having an amazing story. It's like, it's fine. It it moves the plot along, but there's, there's not this, you know, great motive or great, like, I don't know. The characters aren't great enough for me to really say like, this is an amazing story. There's nothing that game does perfectly to me other than there's a lot of quests. Cool. Um, and the world's really big and I, I enjoyed my time with it, but the fact that it's become, and maybe people are starting to see the light of this now with Cyberpunk, but the fact that it was like, oh, this is what yeah. open world games should be. It's 
like, is it? Yeah, it was. The, it's like the archetypal open world RPG, which yeah, of the last it is not necessarily sure. deserving of that. No, um, it's just funny because our two hottest takes that were bound to happen did come out. I got the Mass Effect one. You got the Witcher one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I yeah. don't know why I didn't think about it until then, but it's, no, I and I don't disagree. They should. Uh, we should pay a studio, or not us, but someone. They should remake The Witcher Three. <laughs> Give me another reason to play it because I'm not going to do it otherwise. Make make better gameplay. Get, exactly. Get Blue Point. That's to even newer than Last fun. of Us, but that's you true. Know. Was what 2015? Yep. Same year as uh, Fallout Four, Metal Gear Five. Yep. Those are the big ones. Bloodborne. Oh, nice game of the year. Batman: Arkham Knight. I think was. 15 maybe I think 16. you're right. I think you're right. I for some reason picture playing those games side by side. I remember head. that being the year of like so much potential that yeah. was kind of squandered. Yeah. But I don't know that I would go as far as to say Fallout 4 is a better game, but I thought about it. I had more fun with Fallout 4, but I think I am now I think Witcher 3 is a better objective game. Yes, a better made game. Yes. I think I am more Nostalgic to want to go back and play Fallout 4 than I am Witcher 3. Though. I did think like about if, it the if, other day. If I had those two games in front of me, I'd pick Fallout. Well, very it's weird because, like, if I were to imagine with what little I could remember about Witcher 3 and say, hey, I want to go back and replay this, I just imagine myself riding a horse through grasslands forever. <laughs> Whereas, yeah. I was like, oh, if I go back and play Fallout 4, I'm like, I can further explore this nuclearized area that I didn't get to before yeah. or this. I never played Far Harbor, like the DLC. It's like, oh, there's yeah. these islands over here that maybe I could explore. Um, yeah, I've wanted to go back to Fallout 4 for There's for a definitely while. more intrigue in that world, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Fallout 76. Never touched it. Had potential. Sure I, did. I love the alpha. Then I bought the game stupidly. <laughs> and it, it, was, it was just the alpha. And, happens to the best of us. And uh, it was not very fun. The quests were so broken. A game that I'm always like... I've heard they fixed it. Maybe I should go back. But I'm like, yeah, it's the most did. recent Fallout. But yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I don't think that gone. I don't think that game's gone full No Man's Sky yet. So once it does, maybe I go back. <laughs> well, Tanner, those takes were pretty hot. I think. Yeah. Maybe one of these days we'll come up with even more hot takes. I think this is a good, maybe repeatable topic, depending. Yeah. But for now, I have a recommendation. Okay. This is my most inconsequential recommendation of anything maybe that I've ever made. All right. This is not even a game, but it's games related. Okay. I saw this literally this morning. You're going to laugh. Okay. I'm going to recommend a video by College Humor. Oh. Released in 2010. Okay. Called Tetris God. Oh, I've seen this. I had not seen this until this morning. <laughs> and I, I, thought, I was hoping it was the Tetris video yeah, you're talking about. I remember I was I'm playing games that I've talked about pretty endlessly before. That's really funny. I don't, there's not a game that I can really recommend this week that's something new. Yeah. But I saw this, and it just gave me a good chuckle. As a Tetris lover, Yeah, this does it does capture well the feeling of, like, what are these people behind the screen here Line throwing at piece. me? Line piece. Line piece. <laughs> so watch it if you have it. It's 11 years old, so it's like... You've either seen it or you definitely haven't. Yeah, it's a very so. early internet video, I assume. But yeah. no, I remember. I remember. I was like, kind of into college humor for a while. And they then put I out just, some good stuff. Just wasn't. I love the. Uh, was it Jake and Abed? Was that was the name of the that name? Jake and Amir. Amir. Those rings a bell. Sorry, Abed's from Community, which I've been nah. watching. Um, those videos were fun. Anyway, uh, my recommendation is not a college humor video. Unfortunately, that'd be really funny if I, if I had one. Uh, I'm going to recommend Crash 4. I think that okay. I can officially recommend it now. I will say, we were talking about games earlier that have a lot of content for their price. 
Jesus Christ, does this game have a lot of content. Charge $80, cowards. <laughs> I don't know if I would have. But if you like platformers, this is one of the most challenging that ever... I sounded like a like an IGN video review. If you like platformers, um, but this is the game for you. <laughs> yeah. We give this a 9 out of 10. Uh, no, but I, I really do recommend this game. Um, like I said, there is one section of it that's ridiculously hard. Uh, if, if you're the type of person to want to chase like time trials... Or getting all the boxes, which is like the collectibles, basically. Um, or getting all the gems or anything like that. There is a lot of that here for you. Uh, as someone who Platinum Crash won and has trophy hunted on and off of the other two, I will not be trophy hunting this game because it is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I Granted, I could come back two months from now and be like, I've been trophy hunting in Crash 4. But it just scratches that 3D platforming itch. I love Crash games. And... Uh, this one does about as good a job. I don't think they're going to do another Crash game. Mm. Like, I think this is kind of it. Would not be surprised if Toys for Bob does a Spyro game next. Um, I would say, like, stay on the lookout for that. But the ending of Crash 4, not to spoil anything, but seems pretty conclusive. Mm. Um, not that, like, a character It's hard to have that kind of game yeah, in that way. Yeah, a character doesn't die or anything. I'm not saying that. But just, like, there's a, there's a nice tidy bow wrapped around everything that's like, okay, I think they're done. Um, so yeah, Crash 4 is a solid buy, especially I feel like that game is going to be on sale a lot. So Fair. pick it up if you like platforms. Probably will be plus before too long. Could, yeah, to- could totally do That'll it. be when I get it. Yeah. Well, folks out there, there's one little thing that I didn't include earlier. Okay. It was officially announced that E3 is on this year. That's true. And it's not behind a paywall, which exactly. is a rumor. <laughs> but instead of us talking about that now, you can count us talking on that plenty in the weeks to come. And eventually the inevitable... E3 predictions video. Yes, which is, is definitely going to awesome. happen. Yeah. Uh, haven't done one of those in quite some time, and I cannot wait. We could even, if you want to, we could even live stream it if you want on over at twitch.tv slash stormstream. Not a bad idea. We'll be thinking about it. Yeah. Maybe a few beers in already before we even go into oh, it. Let's drunk E3 really, really action. We really get combative. I like it. I'm in. And we'll definitely have a scoring system competition going back and yes. forth. Yeah. We'll have a maybe even a bingo card we might, For sure. we might draft up. Something of that ilk. Yeah. But until then, for now, We're tapping out.